Bebop saga, you know we keep it groovy We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies A couple of nerds, but got style, we so cool Pop culture, talking new and old school, yeah You should know we love hip-hop From the roots, Ty Lib, shout out to Feral Munch We giving you what you want, it don't get no liver Ain't no doubt we gotcha, this is Pop Saga, let's go Oh yeah, you heard right, this is a lifestyle Welcome to the nerd life, Pop Saga Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pop Saga, the pop culture podcast in which two friends attempt to discover if their pop culture obsession is real, or just memories implanted by the Recall Corporation. I'm Forrest, and I am joined as always by my cunning rebellion leader and co-host, John O. <laughs> How are you doing today, John O? I am doing fine. <laughs> Remember... Give me your hands. Give me your hand. I am kind of juicy looking. <laughs> he is a juicy little baby. Yes, he um, is. <laughs> juicy and if you don't know what we're baby. talking about, uh, I think I would think we have given you enough information to uh, to piece it together. But we are talking about the 1990 magnum opus, Total Recall. Yes. Let's go. Let's do it. So, uh, John, when was the first time that you saw Total Recall? Because I don't remember when I saw it the first time. <laughs> so, I, so I know I saw it in theaters. That I know. I was, I've been trying to remember which theater, and I also do not recall that. Right. But I saw it in theaters because um, I used to go with my brother. My brother's... Uh, seven almost eight years older than me so i'd go see a lot of like r-rated movies and stuff with them so it wasn't really a uh, uh out of place thing to uh go check this out and it was an arnold schwarzenegger movie so obviously we we're gonna see that like he took me to go see predator 2 for example um in theaters which is another movie i'm sure we'll talk about at some point in, oh definitely in the, in the far future um but yeah so i saw it in the theaters and it blew my like 10 year old mind yeah wow yeah you you must have been nine ten years old ten point ten yeah. wow uh it's a lot it's a lot um I, I know that i saw it when i was fairly young because the asphyxiation scenes yes uh, which are numerous in this movie have uh, made a really huge impression on me as a kid. It was just a terrifying image and, um, you know, very uh, something you would expect from Verhoeven, obviously. But Yeah, I, to this day, those decompression parts, like, that still sticks out in my mind. And as I was re-watching the movie recently, uh, the kind of prep for this... It was like still as vibrant and 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 gruesome, and I had to kind of look away. Uh, still amazing effects, as far as I'm concerned, is is like the decompression there. But yeah, such a vivid memory of that. Uh, oh, and like so many of the key marks and shit. I I don't quote it every day, but whenever I get the chance, you know, it's always get your blank to somewhere right like right <laughs> get your ass to target you know doing that stuff so yeah uh, yeah like I, 
like I said, I have no idea when I saw it originally, but it, it definitely made a huge impression on me, and much like yourself, and not just because of the gore, but um, because of the aesthetics, because of the characters, and it really is sort of like a simple, a simplified, um, like, spy story. It's not as maybe layered and deep as something... Um, uh, the more complex spy stories out there, but it has sort of the big pillars of uh, a spy story. Not to get too uh, far ahead of ourselves, but it, it's it's was really intriguing from uh, that angle to me as a kid as well, because I loved uh, you know all the spy stuff like James Bond and um, uh, Mission Impossible. I'd love to talk about that first movie because I think even today it still confuses me, but. Um, let's, uh, recall what our <laughs> subject is today. <laughs> and, uh, that is the, uh, the movie Total Recall by, uh, director Paul Verhoeven. Yes. And starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rachel Ticotin? Ticotin? What did we yeah. decide? <laughs> I think it's Ticotin. Ticotin. That's... Um, Sharon Stone... Ronnie Cox, Michael Ironsides, Marshall Bell, Mel Johnson Jr., uh, Michael Champion, Roy Brock, the amazing Roy Brocksmith, in another, a, a brief role, but a very impactful one. And um, you know what? I think there's one person I'm missing. Do you have these written down? No, I think you got all the key ones. Okay. I thought there was one more person, but you know what? I... It must not be a recalling. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm not going to have no more recall jokes. No, nah, I mean, you might as well just live it up, man. Get yeah, as many, might as well. Like, how many, <laughs> how many times are you going to be sitting there going like, hey, I recall on this episode we did this, but I don't recall that. How am I, I spelling it, recall? It's a K instead of a C. That uh, That's the hint. You should have uh, heard that. Uh, you should have uh, heard that in my voice when I was saying it. <laughs> Oh, I heard it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a hard K. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this was, uh, I, I alluded to this earlier, but uh, this movie is based on a short story by Philip K. Dick uh, called, uh, I believe it is called, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, is the short story. And it uh, it was based, I would say it's based very loosely on uh, this short story. Um, I haven't read it myself, but from the synopsis, uh, it basically, the movie just takes the part about, uh, memories being implanted and psychics and sort of, uh, expands it into its own story. Um, because I believe, I mean, actually, I believe aliens are also part of the story, but in so far as, uh, they discover through, um psychic uh intervention that the the main character has memories of aliens that he was a king of or something it's it's very bizarre um i kind of feel like a lot of movies try to adapt philip k dick source material but very few are faithful to it um i think maybe the most example uh, the or sorry the most famous example of that is probably Blade Runner, which is based on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, but those two stories are wildly different. It just sort of takes the themes of uh, the story and applies it to 
a, a much different movie. And that's something that I was thinking a lot about, um, sort of tangentially related to this, and wondering what is it about his stories that that people find so hard to adapt faithfully. And granted, I can't. I haven't seen all of the works based on his uh, stories, but certainly it does. Um, it does kind of feel that way, at least on uh, first blush. I well, I think one they're short stories. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> right, so it's a little difficult. I just always found it super impressive that this guy has now been, you know, he passed away in 1982. Um, but yet they're still using his short stories to this day. Some of the more influential uh, films and uh, TV projects of our time. So uh, it's hard to, to deny, regardless of whether or not they were able to fully capture his original uh, vision, um, that he was a visionary. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it definitely also created genres that you know didn't really exist like cyberpunk is really a thing yeah yeah certainly uh that plus william gibson uh i think you can kind of trace the the dna of a lot of cyberpunk back to there and then we wouldn't be we without any of that stuff we wouldn't be getting that cool game coming out that everyone is uh looking forward to cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> non-sponsored but if you want to give us some money we'll take it <laughs> Uh, I'm sure the game's going to be great. Uh, CD Projekt Red is one of the best studios around. Uh, you know, we're not asking for money, but we'll gladly talk about uh, your products nonstop, probably for free. Uh, I mean, I should have said that, but... Um, yeah, no, not for free. A small fee. <laughs> no, maybe a early release copy of the game. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just literally winked into my microphone. Like, <laughs> what's that going to do I for him? Uh, I we know you've... Oh, it's a good microphone. You just yeah, hear this. it's very good. Want <laughs> <laughs> to put some drops in there? It's sounding kind of dry. Yeah, let me get the, let, let, let me moisture up these eye windows. <laughs> bloop 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 bloop. Well, I can really hear it. Um. So let's. Do you want to dive in? Do you want to dive into this this sucker? Yeah, I think we're good to go. Um, okay. Do you have who it was written by? I did not take that down. Yeah, one second. Yeah, no, it it was a bunch of people, um, including I think uncredited uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? Yeah. He so. wrote his uh, his one liners. Oh he just, well, he, did someone he just sit down with a draft and say, "I've uh, got to change it." It's like, come on, put my one liners in here. You gotta do it. Come on, do it. Do it now. And they're like, okay, we get it, Arnold. We'll write this shit in. Dog is sensitive. He's Quaid. I'm Hauser. I'm Quaid. But I must have my one-liners. I uh, uh, I had forgotten that uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger's name, or one of his names in this film, is Douglas Quaid. And so I will be referring to him as Doug uh, for, for most of this uh, recap. That's fair. I was going to refer to him as Quaid. Yeah, Just, there we go. That'll yeah. be real, not confusing at all. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I will. I will try to follow your beat. But okay. um, <laughs> let's see. It was written by Ronald Shusett, Dan O'Bannon, John Poville, and then Gary Goodman. Also, uh, 
helped with the screenplay. Those guys did the screen story and screenplay. And then, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger was really insistent about getting this movie made. Got that uh, Calico, the company, the production company to do it, to buy the uh, story from uh, Dino De Laurentiis. So, yeah, he really wanted this movie to get made. I think he found the idea of transplanting memories and going to Mars very interesting. So, yeah, that's why there's a... I would say that in a lot of what we're probably going to see, there's a lot more Arnold Schwarzenegger than I think uh, they would even let you believe because he pushed so hard, pushed the studio so hard to get funding, get it made, get it written, change things around. Hence why it's not very close to the source material either because he's like, I think it'd be more interesting if, you know, I was a construction person instead of working in an office pushing pencils. Yeah, yeah, that is a big uh, change. Plus, it would be hard to show off those uh, mammoth guns uh, if he was, you know, um, you know, just processing paperwork in a cubicle. Oh, uh, sure. no, I ripped the shirt again. Yeah, no, I was just picturing, he was like, oh, no, the copier, it's it's broken. So, yeah, and he just rips, like, his sleeves off so he can fix the copier. It's like, and then he's like... The donor is on you. And then he walks away. <laughs> Toner's on you. Sorry. I didn't like its toner. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. That's going on a t-shirt. Yeah. I, um, yeah, as a, I'm going to give two warnings here at the top. Number one, I will be doing a bad Arnold voice that's really probably Will Sasso's Arnold voice that I'm just doing a bad impression of throughout. Number two, um, you will hear my dog at one point because <laughs> she is uh, makes lots of weird gurgling and huffing sounds and uh, likes to walk around near the the recording area. So um, both those will happen, and so both if you're thinking that sounds terrible, I implore you to leave the podcast running and just put your earbuds out <laughs> and rate rate uh, five stars on iTunes. Yeah, so uh, if we're giving warnings here, I too will be doing a terrible Arnold accent, um, <laughs> as you've been hearing already. Um, mine, uh, origin's unknown. I don't know who I'm impersonating, <laughs> but I know I'm not impersonating Arnold. And if you hear uh, my dog Batman or uh, Prince barking in the backgrounds, it's them just patrolling uh, my little slice of Gotham here. So, yeah. I apologize. And that's a great combo, by the way. To have uh, to your protectors be Batman and Prince, I feel like I would feel the safest I've ever felt in my entire life. That would be like being back in the womb, I feel like. Yeah, no, it's pretty dope. Especially when Prince decides to sing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, wow. What a, what a lucky guy you are. I know. <laughs> it's just the life I built for myself. <laughs> you know, Prince and Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A big fan of 1989's Batman, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Though I did not name Batman Batman. I'll tell that story one day. But I okay. did not name well, Batman Batman. That's fantastic. Well, I guess maybe when we do the 1989 Batman movie, uh, we can hear that story. We need to do it because it's like the... Uh, 31st anniversary, so you know. Yeah. So, um, jumping right in, we start with that TriStar logo. 
Um, I think actually on, on my copy, I bought it on Amazon. And mine started with the Studio Canal, the updated Studio Canal uh, logo, which is very beautiful, but it doesn't really fit in an older movie. And then it, it transitioned to TriStar, which I was very was much more happy to see. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Love that intro. Uh, I don't recall the animation on the wings as the horse sort of flies over being so bad, um, but it's just jumping all over the place. It's very... Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where I'm sure if I saw it on my old TV, in my old interlace TV, it would look amazing. But in HD on a big old TV, um, woof. That's yeah, or, a, a product of the times. Yeah, or like 20 feet away in a movie sure, theater. Sure. You know, yeah, exactly. Like, You're just like, that horse can fly. Yeah. <laughs> I believe horses can fly. And um, now I'm just like, whoa, what the hell is going on with those feathers? They're like 15 different sizes. Yeah, mine had the actual uh, Carol Carol Co Co uh, production. The the company that bought it had their logo. Yeah, that that comes next in my, in uh, my version as well. Um, it just okay. they just kind of tacked the Studio Canal on the outside uh, before everything starts up. But you get in the, right away. The theme is like, "Hey guys," or "Hey, uh, watching public." It's going to be an action movie because already we have a lot of percussion. We got some synths. It's, uh, let's get ready for sh- some action because that's what this whole sequence is telling us. It's red, it's black, it's ready for action. <laughs> yeah, ready for action. The uh, laser effect on the text um, because we got lots of credits. Um, it's the old uh, 90s, 80s style where they wouldn't, you know. Uh, Movies these days kind of almost, in some cases, uh, eschew the title card completely. But in these older movies, they want to tell you everyone who's worked on it, which is fine. It's great. I actually liked, I really liked the effect. It was uh, very avant-garde, but, um, it, you know, this plus the theme song, I was ready for action. I was into it. Yeah, well, I mean, you had the great late Jerry Goldsmith there doing mm-hmm. the um, composing for it, and... I mean, shit, he did Rambo 2 and 3, Omen, like literally all the Star Trek movies up to like yes. First Contact. Yeah. And he, uh, he came up with that amazing uh, Klingon music, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, he did all the Next Generation, and uh, this one I fault him for a little bit, all the Voyager episodes too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't at me. Hot take. <laughs> don't at me. I, yeah, guys, don't at him. Don't add him. Don't don't add me. Don't add me too. And it was funny. This theme actually reminded me uh, very much, almost of like a what a new school Conan theme would be. Yeah, I could see that. The opening shot is a beautiful, um, a beautiful uh, wide shot of uh, a, a red canyon, um, and there's a uh, two figures in the front wearing these very big clunky spacesuits. Yes, I, I I thought they were uh, uh, appropriate for the time. Like it's 1990. This is what I think a futuristic spacesuit would look like. And now it's funny you kind of look at the spacesuits from like the SpaceX flights and stuff like that, and they're they're kind of close to this. Yeah, you're like this isn't too far off. I do like how uh, utilitarian they are. Uh, they did a great job of aging all the bits of the spacesuit. Um, you know, there's wear and tear on all of it, and even on the the glass shielding in the front, 
you can tell it's been worn away by dust storms. It has that sort of uh, sanded down glass look that I thought was great. And um, we see that it is indeed a very young looking Arnold. Uh, and um, uh, Rachel Tigotin. And um, this, this whole sequence is great. All these effects hold up really well and the compositing especially on this uh intro part is very impressive i was uh, overall i was uh, really impressed um with this opening shot yeah there's very few shots actually in here that i think um don't work very well or not as good they're finally starting to show their age i should say but this definitely isn't one of them yeah and um they're you know sort of uh holding hands a little bit you can tell they're affectionate with each other and uh, as as they walk way too close to the edge of the <laughs> of that precipice, um, Arnold takes a tumble, and we yeah. get our first asphyxiation gore right off the bat. We're he- five minutes into the no four minutes into the movie, and all already um, scarred for life. Holy shit, man! I've I've been scarred from this, and the this 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 is like the dare version for space, like. I will never bring a gun into a space shuttle, shoot at a window, jump on an alien planet, or any of this because of this decompression scene. I will follow all the safety rules. I will be a good kid. <laughs> glad. I mean, I am glad that you're not going to bring a gun onto a spaceship and shoot at a window. Um, I feel like that's something you probably would have done anyway, but... <laughs> I'm glad that you have confirmation that you won't do it. Yeah, I'm just confirming it for people out there who might have been wondering if I was on the fence. Yeah. Uh, if, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's one of those things you get to a point in your life, you're like, will I bring the gun into the spaceship and shoot the window? Um, and uh, it's good to hear that you're on the right side of history on this one. Yeah. Um, Only because I was scared straight from this shit. If yeah. I'd never had Total Recall in my life, oh, I'd be shooting windows and spaceships left and right. So, yeah, we're not going to give you uh, any recommendation, parents out there, but just, you know, mull that over. We you know, we could have, uh, we could have a, uh, mass, uh, a violent decompression John out there, were it not for uh, <laughs> watching this at the, the tender age of 10 years old. Um, but, yeah, this effect is terrible. Uh, it's truly just disturbing to look at. Even now, uh, you can, I mean, you can tell it's a prosthetic, but it is good. And just, um, I think, which is common with a lot of uh, Verhoeven movies, it, the gore is excessive. Um, but it's always, like, to a point. It's not, um, it's not excessive. Um, and it doesn't sort of gleefully revel in the the goriness of it. It's it's always to sort of um, shock you, and this does that because the the tongue becomes huge and the eyes, eyes bulge bulging. Down. Oh, it just is is uh, it's hard to watch. Even I just watched it earlier today, and I was uh, I was very off put by these these effects yeah like i can't look straight at it i'm not i'm not kidding with you like it 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 generally like this again to your point prosthetics you can tell obviously it's not happening but just how violent and quick it was was just like it that is burned in my brain yeah it's a uh (laughs) it's a real it's a it's a real one-two punch um but but no nothing not to worry it's not real it's just a dream and uh and then we cut to arnold 
waking up in bed uh, terrified from this nightmare. Um, he's okay. His eyes are normal size. And uh, he, he, we can see that he's with a new woman. There's this, um, the woman that he was walking with and in the spacesuit is, is not the one in bed with him, but it is a uh, young Sharon Stone. Yep. That's not a bad way to wake up, I guess. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah because especially since she knows exactly uh, the way uh, to, to fix nightmares are uh, sweet little kisses on the face. Yeah, my my note for this was uh, they go from I, I'm just gonna jump through it. They go from kissing to fighting to kissing. 1990 yes. was a hell of a way to start a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the 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 how it how this scene progresses is, is very uncomfortable. Um, the they basically go from kissing to where she is like legitimately angry with him because of this. She he dreams of another woman and, and it's Mars. And then um, she seems legitimately up, uh, upset, and he kind of physically overpowers her and like makes him or her like come back to bed and kiss him. And it's there; it's not entirely clear that what's happening is fully consensual. So that it's like the um, I think it's sort of a classic uh, trope in older movies where uh, a man just has to sort of like. Uh, uh, manhandle a woman to get her to calm down or whatever. Yeah, um, I, I was but not. it uh, it does not age well, and um, that part is a little bit. Meh. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I was just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in in um, true Verhoeven's style, it's six minutes in, and we have partial nudity and body horror, so. We know we're we're in for some classic for Verhoeven's uh, filmmaking, and if you are not aware of uh, the filmmaker Paul Verhoeven, um, shame on you. <laughs> go stop this podcast and go watch some of his works. He's a uh, he's a very influential uh, filmmaker, and some of his movies you might remember are a little something called RoboCop and uh, Starship Troopers, Showgirls. Uh, he uh, definitely is known for for making movies that uh, don't shy away from um, from uh, you know using exploitative imagery to sort of shock you, as we talked about before. And also in classic Verhoeven, uh, like if I guess we were to go to the Verhoeven school for uh, film and television we would have to develop a newscast that kind of fills you in with exposition. <laughs> yeah, classic. Exactly. The, the, the television interludes are, uh, are a, um, a device that he seems to go back to quite a bit. Um, and we, yeah, we, cause we go right from this, um, sort of, uh, weird, uh, not weird necessarily. Maybe this is like a kink for them because they, we find out later they've been married or at least so he thinks they've been married for, or at least together for eight years. So maybe this sort of fighting and making up thing is the, the, the love language, uh, that their relationship takes. Um, let's, let's just pretend to give them that, I guess. Um, but we are in the, the breakfast scene now where he is making some sort of protein shake or oatmeal or something. And this sort of calm, 
um, bucolic sort of exercise is uh, juxtaposed with these this like very brutal um, newscast that's on TV this that's showing it's it's got curses it's got uh, full-on people being mowed down with bullets uh, and you know uh, our uh, our protagonist here um, is 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 enraptured by the what's unfolding and we understand that it's mostly because they're talking about Mars which he um, the dialogue in the previous scene sort of suggested that he is uh, obsessed with yeah this fills in kind of like the uh, the uh, other part of the plot where Mars is currently under war where you have like it's a quado it's kind of like this freedom fighter versus um, the person the administration that is running Mars uh, led by Cohagen with two A's Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, like Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah, Copenhagen, but you drop out a popa, I guess. Um, yeah, so it just kind of fills you in, and it it reinforces um, Quaid's or Doug's uh, want to kind of uh, his Mars seems to be a key keyword for him because he he even stresses he's like, hey, I want to move. Let's let's do it. Let's move to Mars. That's a fun scene because uh, we just see like violence and riots and um, and then uh, you know uh, Doug Doug is looking at the is looking at the the TV and then he just like turns to his wife and says, "Let's move, let's move there." <laughs> it's just the the most bizarre uh, the most bizarre triggering image like. I can't imagine you would see uh, uh, images of, of uh, this like armed conflict that is going on being like, I would really love, I mean, wonder if I'm looking up apartments right now. Um, so that was a, I thought that was a funny transition and you know, she's right. It looks shitty on Mars. I don't know why he keeps pressing it, but he seems pretty uh, sad when he's shot down. Here's something I noticed real quick. Um, when they are preparing breakfast in the background, there's a ton of Evian water product placement. <laughs> it's just like all over the place, and it is very obvious. All the all the labels are turned out. They want you to get that Evian water. Well, you know, it's the water of Earth, right? So, <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> don't get Evian on Mars. Yeah, yeah we'll find out that out later. <laughs> yeah, don't get anything on Mars. <laughs> we'll find that later. Yeah. um... Yeah, what she stated, she says it's dry and it's boring outside of the fact that, you know, it appears to be worn-torn. Uh, right. What what I felt uh, interesting was, like, the transition where he's like, okay, we, I won't do it, let's not do it, it's fine. Like yeah. the very the, sad. Yeah, the new news shifts to ESPN, so that still exists in that world. <laughs> and then it was, like, the World Series... Like the Toronto Blue Jays versus the Tokyo Samurais. So I was just like, that's cool. I'm glad that Major League Baseball moved to Japan. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that, and it's a worldwide thing now. And uh, it was a nice little bit of world building. They actually do quite a lot, I, I would think, I think, uh, of nice world building in this movie. Um, and I thought it was funny because... Based on the time this w- was made, widescreen televisions weren't really a thing. 
So I love that they have a huge TV that takes up an entire panel of their wall, but it's still 4 by 3 aspect ratio. <laughs> and uh, Lori, Sharon Stone's character, does turn it into a widescreen image at one point uh, to show a relaxing landscape to kind of get uh, Doug's mind off of Mars and the, and, uh, the violence, but um, it has big old bars through it, so not even that uh, is that good. So uh, I thought it was a fun sort of retro-futuristic uh, part of the design that I liked. Oh yeah, for sure. I like every all the practical effects, where they chose the film, all this stuff gives it that. This definitely looks like the future in 1990. Yeah, it has a very strong visual aesthetic. And one of the things I, I noted down, this doesn't really have anything to do with the, the visuals necessarily, but... Uh, I was like, geez, uh, this this news report is hitting a little too close to home right now. Um, we are filming, or filming, <laughs> we're recording this podcast uh, in June, uh, the end of June of uh, 2020. And man, seeing an, uh, a news report about an oppressed uh, minority fighting for their rights and being called terrorists for it uh, was really like, when was this movie made? Yeah, it was moved, it was made back in 1990. So that was a little. It was a bit of it that kind of took me out of the movie uh, briefly, but um, but it just shows how these uh, these themes repeat, and they uh, they they are very based in in real life. Yeah, very much so. So he uh, so Doug ices Lori basically at that point, um, gives her the total cold shoulder. Because she was not on board with his Mars plans, so he, she's like, uh, she's trying to get close to him, and he's like, I have to go to work, totally brushes her off. Um, and then we literally see his whole commute. Um, yeah, that's great. Like, I, the, I like it. you were saying earlier, the brutalist city that we get to see now is, is so awesome. Just these huge geometrical slabs of concrete. Um, do you know where that was filmed? It was filmed in Mexico. Um, where in Mexico, I don't know, but I know it was filmed in Mexico. I think wow. pretty close to Mexico City, and it was around this whole new... It took place like this uh, city center type of area, and the the train station was the real train station. Uh, all they did there... Uh, well, we'll just kind of go through it. Yeah, you see these uh, super futuristic-esque looking buildings, these giant large roundabouts. It just kind of fills in like this um this world and um yeah it real place you can go there even i think the coca-cola sign that is is prominently shown at one part in this movie is still there it hasn't been taken down so if you're wow. in that area yeah that's incredible yeah the the architecture is great it feels very dystopian feels very cold feels bad like nothing about earth in this movie feels good or nice and um that's sort of uh the way that contrasts with mars later is like a really effective visual tool storytelling tool um but uh doug gets on a train and it's great because it's just like a subway car that somebody put big old tvs in yeah um, and they changed the colors of those trains so they did paint one over and I think, oh, nice. yeah, I don't know if those type of trains are still in use there, but yeah, they they changed it from. I think it was 
they used to be orange and then like painted them silver or some shit like that and then yeah put those giant tvs in there that i always thought would have been so cool to have tv on like bart oh yeah yeah anything mm-hmm. anything on public transit to, to uh take your mind off of what's uh, happening and and that's what's exactly what's happening right now because he sees a commercial that is very appealing to him and that's a commercial for the recall corporation um, that will basically implant memories in your mind, and it's just as good as being there. It's it's like if the void that VR experience had like was the only way that people did entertainment. Like the, this is not a world in which Xbox and, and PlayStation exist, mm-hmm. because I think he would just be playing like Mars Blaster Five Thousand. Yeah, all the time. If that was the case. <laughs> That's a terrible fake video game name, by the way. And the, it's even worse because I work in video games. Um, yeah, you work, so you know how bad names are. So, like, yep. yeah, it's completely acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure if I go to the app store right now, I might find Mars Blaster Five Thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's it's weirdly by uh, it's by the band Power Man Five Thousand. Weird. <laughs> oh man, they're still well. I mean, yeah, they're making apps now. You know. Yeah, sure. Good I, for them. Rather than make apps than music. Oh, oh! <laughs> do shit. not at him, ladies do and gentlemen. Do not at me if you're Power Man um, Five Thousand. We will fight because I'm just going to tell you right now. He's like Rob Zombie Light. Get his own yeah. shtick. Get your own yeah. shtick. Right? Is he related to Rob Zombie? Yeah, he's like Rob Zombie's brother. That's why. Okay. I, but that's it's. This isn't a Gallagher thing, right? Like you can't <laughs> be like too. it's Rob Zombie too. It's not. Yeah, but he, I wish he was Rob Zombie as well. Versus this guy who's like, yeah, I'm gonna steal his old using the intros to like horror films to start my music, and then not be nearly as good as like White Zombie or Rob Zombie themselves. It's don't at me. I, I will yeah. fight. And I, look, I have a shirt that I just found recently for the Summer Sanitarium Tour, and Power Man Five Thousand was there, so I saw them in person. Don't so you're at saying me. from you can you could say from experience that this is the case. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I always thought uh, Dragula was better than Werewolf Car. <laughs> 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 Take a look at my werewolf car. <laughs> Jump in the back of my werewolf car. <laughs> what if it was? What if this, this song was werewolf car done in the styling of the B-52s? But some. <laughs> it did. I did have a little bit of uh, that. Jump in the back of my werewolf car. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, okay. And okay, scene. So, and that has been our Power Man Five Thousand recap. Uh, no, I. I mean, you've got your fans. You did your thing. You had your crazy hair. Good for you. Um, everybody, let's live in peace. Whatever. Yeah, I just threw up peace signs. <laughs> Good. Good, right into the microphone. I heard those too. Yep. Um, that's what's so good about it. Yeah. Um, but before before he gets into this uh, this cool subway car, we see Chekhov's X-ray machine. <laughs> that this thing is badass. It is very cool. 
I, Especially for the time. If you think about when it was made, it is uh, extremely cool. Oh yeah, like it, holy shit, this thing looked cool. It was it's a, a security screen that uh, would scan people for weapons, you know, or um, you know, foreshadowing in a lot of movies because don't show you shit like that for no reason. But anyway, this really cool thing, uh, a safety checkpoint, I think it was called. He walks through it, and what you do is get an x-ray of what they're carrying and their skeleton so you can see if they were carrying any uh, illegal items. Right, and guns specifically are not allowed beyond this point, which is fun, because you're like, oh, outside of that, no problem. (laughs) Outside of that, it's a uh, war zone, but you go through these, you go on the subway, you can't have your guns, gotta put them back. Um... And so then we cut to uh, an exterior shot of a building being built and pan down to find Arnold uh, sleeveless and and, uh, yoked, um, uh, just uh, jackhammering some rocks in a quarry. Um, No one else there looks like him. He sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, You know, everyone else there is, uh, aside from his his, um, uh, fairly rotund buddy... Uh, that he's breaking rocks with. Everyone else just looks like a normal person, but then there's Arnold, and he looks like a uh, He-Man action figure just <laughs> doing construction. Yeah, this dude's yoked. Like, uh, I think Arnold was 41 when this film came out, and I can tell you at the ripe age of 40, I'm not close to that at all. <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah, do you, do he you? looks very young. I mean, good for him, um, but... Uh, he and uh, he decides to ask, uh, what is this guy named? Gary? Yeah, no, Harry. 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 Okay. Yeah. Harry. Harry. Uh, he decides to ask Harry Gary um, <laughs> about recall, and I thought uh, the response that um, the response that he gives should have tipped, uh, not to go too far ahead, but should have tipped Doug off right away. Uh, because he just goes like, recall, 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 recall. Those fake memories. Oh, recall, 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 recall. Thinking of going. Yeah. <laughs> he has like a little song and he, like, he's thought about it a lot, uh, even though he's never been himself. Um, but he, he knows a friend that was lo- lobotomized or practically lobotomized. Why not? A friend of mine tried one of their special offers, nearly got himself lobotomized. What's going there? So he says, "Don't do that. That's a dumb thing." Yeah, don't fuck with um, your don't fuck with your brain, pal. Yeah, <laughs> gives a very good advice. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm gonna tell you. Just, I'm sure you might ask me later whether I would do recall or not. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No. And actually, we um because we then cut uh. Doug's going to he, he's not heeding his advice of uh, his friend his um, his very gruff construction buddy uh, instead he's he's gonna go to the the recall corporation um, which is something I guess you can just make up an appointment same day and uh, go there yeah it's like Claire's at the mall if you want to get your ears <laughs> pierced just walk right. in yeah you just gotta pick an hour um, mm. and so uh, he goes in and 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 talks to the uh, talks to the recall salesman um and he shows him a very funny chart about uh the fatalities yeah <laughs> where it's like where it's like if you if you fly a shuttle over this amount of time your chance of death goes way up but with us it's like 
their chance of death is just evenly at like whatever twenty percent. <laughs> yeah, you you might die, but it won't be in a shuttle. Yeah, they have a bunch of fatalities mapped out, which is is hilarious. You're like, look at this chart. Come on, it's no big deal. <laughs> yes. Um. So he. Uh. So the this ex- this experience reminded me of buying a used car. Um. It was very much the same. I feel like. Uh. It was he because he, he tries to upsell him on the clear coat. Basically, uh. He's got a lot of because he. Uh, I guess without these add-ons, the memories are just going to a place. Uh, they're just... Um, the memories are just you having visited Mars. But they have a couple little extra options they call ego tripping, I believe. Yeah, ego trip. And that can add a little bit of spice to your experience. They have uh, Rockstar, some famous jock, I think is what the guy says. Yeah, you like a sports star, playboy, exactly a millionaire, uh, or uh, a secret agent, and that's the one uh, that Doug is got his eye on. Yeah, I mean immediately. He, yeah, he, he doesn't even think about the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, how much does a secret agent cost? Yeah, I mean, and um, to be fair, I, I've, I'm looking at all the ego trip options there. I'd be like, yeah, secret agent, please. Yeah, that sounds the most interesting. Yeah, just yeah, uh, bar none. Yeah, so he 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 quotes him how much it would be before the sweetener, and uh, it's eight hundred and sixty some odd credits. And this guy works breaking rocks for a living, so this is definitely going to be an issue with uh, him and Lori, I think, later. <laughs> I mean... Not, none too happy about him dropping his whole life savings on this thing. I, I mean, guess. maybe. I Their apartment was pretty nice. and That's true. He's a construction worker who, at some point during the day, just took off to go to his recall appointment. Right. So, he doesn't work a full day. <laughs> doesn't work a full day. Like, I mean, we I, know that much. Yeah, I don't know how they do it in when's this movie. I think this movie takes place like 2084. So I don't know what rules they got locked down. Maybe it's like a six hour work day. Who knows? Yeah, it, it must be because this all takes place in the space of a day. The uh, the, the first part of the movie, I believe. And um, yeah, he, is, uh, he, he does a lot that day. So it's maybe he worked for like two hours. Um... But, yeah, he doesn't... Like, he works in the foundation. That's not even, like, the good-paying jobs, I imagine. But still, he doesn't really hesitate to drop all this money. And then when he upsells him on the secret agent part, he says, 300 more? No problem. He, uh, he, he, uh, he's got him in, his, in, in the palm of his hand. He, he got him hook, line, and sinker right there. Well, he wants to go to Mars. Like, if he's not going to go there in person, he's going <sighs> to mentally be there. Because Mars... It's obvious, like, was watching this movie, is the siren song to Quaid. Yes, yeah, he he's he's can can't say no. Yeah. Um, uh, so then we go, uh, we cut to him, uh, get prepping with the scientists, and they're um, you know, giving him a menu of uh, different mannequins with different wigs on <laughs> to look at. Yeah, um, so it's like hair color, build, personality. Yeah, and they only have like they have very few choices for these. Uh, it's hard to imagine you could you could get a very uh, whole rounded memory with just these very um, these very specific uh, 
personality traits, but he chooses, he wants, uh, the vol I thought the voluptuous setting when they were showing that, um, the, uh, the, uh, like wireframe rendering mm -hmm. was hilarious. It, and, and I think, uh, Doug thinks so too, because he says, uh, he would like his, uh, his memory lady to be, uh, athletic, um, and then athletic, and then what was it? Trashy? No, so the the options are, and I wrote these down as they were coming, okay. so hair color was brunette, which happened to be the same color of the hair of the person who he was dreaming about. Mm -hmm. Build was athletic. He did not pick voluptuous, but it was very much like a video game character creator, <laughs> just a person went to 10. <laughs> and then personality... Um, uh, was demure, aggressive, sleazy, sleazy, sleazy. Okay, and demure, <laughs> sleazy and demure. Yeah, <laughs> so specific. Yeah. I don't know how you get uh, uh, oil and water to mix like that, but there you go. Sleazy you go. and demure. Sleazy. Just like using the the term sleazy is such a uh, such a, a put down. I, I can't imagine what positive personality trait that you would be looking for in your sleazy partner. <laughs> I mean, I know the subtext is there. That's really what uh, they're they're trying to get across. The, the sleaze is not in the personality. Um, but uh, I, I thought that was that was funny. It's like. If this were me, I would never do this because if I had to sit in a chair and literally tell somebody, <laughs> be like, so they're like, hey, so what's your thing? Um, uh, okay, well, um, uh, uh, what do you want me to pick? I don't know. <laughs> Gassy and. <laughs> Gassy, right. And, uh, like, um, uh, stern but flatulent. <laughs> Could never laugh whenever they rip one. <laughs> oh God, it's so funny. I want to laugh so bad. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, as he's doing this, uh, they um, put like uh, anesthesia or something to help him go to sleep. Because as he's going through, he's like, sleazy in the mule. Yeah, <laughs> he's getting tired. Yeah, he's, he's getting sleepy. He's getting Some real good sleepy acting by... Uh, by old Arnie here. Yeah, uh, then it takes... I, I love this part, because the computer takes all of that, computates it, and who appears on the screen? The woman he dreamed about earlier. Yep, yep, it's, uh... I, I wrote down, You are the one from my dreams! <laughs> it's a real... It's a real Elder Scrolls moment, where he, uh... He sees the one from his dreams, and that, um... And then he's out. Uh, it's like the last thing he sees before he passes out. Um, and uh, then we cut to the salesman back in his office, and he's he's trying to the hard sell. Uh, he's like, "You're gonna take selfies and all this stuff," and he's trying to he's trying to close a big uh, client. And, and there's some commotion from the uh, the the recall chamber uh, because. Uh, Doug is awake and he is going crazy. Yeah, he's he, got um, some sort of embolism. Yeah, um, schizoid embolism. 
Schizoid. And with a very important client. It looks like we got another schizoid embolism. Embolism, yes, and he and he is uh, he's still uh, strapped down, but he is yelling about uh, them uh, blowing his cover, and um, it seems like if you were to guess, you're like, oh, is uh, has the are these the memories? You don't know. There, there's something weird happening, and you're not sure what's going on. Yeah. You broke my cover. Yeah, and then it was just uh, they. Uh, you can hear them saying he had a memory cap. Right, one of right. the scientists I remember saying that, and I wrote that down. Not my fault. We hit a memory cap, and then you know someone erased his memory. And again, to your point, you're not sure if this is maybe part of the package, or you know something else at this point. Yeah. So he, he they, uh, they inject him like maybe seven, eight times with this uh, tranquilizer, and I thought this was like another very this is another thing that kind of was hallmark Verhoeven to me where they kept injecting him and so they had like blood start kind of spraying out from from where they're injecting him to sort of say that like they have to do it in the same spot over and over and over again and they're like digging into his skin but like he he just is uh, too he's too hyped up yeah he's, he's juiced up and he's super strong yeah he's ripping at him He's got to go. Yeah, he's got to go. And that's what they did. They literally jacked him up. They're like, throw him in the back of a cab. We're, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to delete his files. I'm going to refund his money. Like uh, the cover-up of cover-ups at recall. Um, yeah, one of the scientists mentions the agency. And, and once that, that gets brought up, uh, when, sorry, once that gets brought up, um, the uh, it's all just like, erase this guy's memory, get him in a cab, get him out of here. Um yeah screw this this is <laughs> i'm done with this and sure enough uh doug wakes up in a johnny cab you're in a johnny cab i mean what am i uh this very cool and very iconic but yet very disturbing um robot cab um who looks like he's given us the o face pretty much the entire time this entire drive yeah i mean he's sassy like yeah. he literally has an attitude it's like someone was like hey we're gonna make a robo cab as close to the real thing as possible um it's like this torso and a head on a on a joystick in this weird shaped cab that would not be comfortable yeah. <laughs> especially for someone of arnold's frame i'm sure no sir yeah um but he's like yeah johnny cab he way uh, arnold wakes up in it like he does i think uh, he wakes up in a cab in another one of his movies too six days <laughs> it's a real it's a real wow a little while later yeah a little little bit but yeah he wakes up in this johnny cab and he um is he he goes home and then yeah yeah he uh well he's trying to go home and he's intercepted by uh by harry yep and uh harry's somehow there and uh he's like hey how was mars and uh of course doug doesn't know what he's talking about and they gab a little bit before he says hey let's go let me go get you a drink and he's like ah never mind i gotta go uh but he's intercepted by three big husky thugs yep take around the corner and then you can tell harry's demeanor changes um, you know, like you shouldn't have done that, pal. And he has a gun in his hand. 
Yeah, and he says, you know, I was here, I was put to make sure you, uh, you know, I was put here to make sure that you stayed where you were and everything was fine. Um, but you just had to go dig it around, and, and the, these guys are attacking uh, Doug, and it's clear that their intentions are, are um, to kill him. Yeah, but that... But uh, they shouldn't have done that. You know why? Because they're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, I... My my note here for this scene is Arnold beats the shit out of these guys, breaking yeah, that necks, part, arms, yeah. and shooting people. And it's really like slow, brutal stuff. It's not um, like the combat you get in action movies today, which is very like hyper stylized, and the cinematography is like flashy, and the cuts are quick, so you don't really the brutality of fighting isn't really. Um, uh, dwelled on as much but in this movie man it's just like these lumbering punches and like he he like chops this guy in the nose and like it breaks his nose and blood flies everywhere you're like oh my god this is yeah it's brutal he just goes through and just brutally uh kills all these guys yeah there's this one where he he the dude's on the ground he grabs a guy's arm puts his foot on his neck and goes keeps pulling and you hear yeah, you know, just slowly breaks uh, breaks his former friend's neck. Yeah, holy shit! Yeah, this was this was brutal. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say after that, he runs away uh, back because it looks like we're where his we were earlier when he left for work. So he looks like he's definitely at home. Runs back to the house, and then we cut into a shot of Lori practicing her tennis with her virtual um, uh, teacher. Yeah, she's basically doing holographic YouTube. Yeah, she's following along with uh, with like a recording of someone doing a good tennis swing, and and she is doing the same. Yep. Arnold breaks. Excuse me, Quaid breaks in there. <laughs> it promptly turns off all the lights. I thought that was funny because it, that seems more suspicious than, um, than like not. <laughs> he just comes in and immediately turns off all the lights. Uh, but I guess if you're, um, if you if you are just a civilian, you don't know what to do. You've you just killed four guys in an alleyway, and uh, people are coming after you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Lori's obviously concerned, asking what's going on. He tells her she he went to recall. She immediately calls recall uh, brain butchers, which I was like, man, seems apt. Yeah, yeah. Considering what we saw, she's got. Uh, she was right about Mars. She's right about this. Right. So so far, she's two for two. And then um, Quaid. Uh, this this is the part I'm trying to remember. Uh, Quaid goes off to another room somewhere, and then you can see. Uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead. Because I've had it. Lori calls Michael Ironside. <laughs> yeah, I call him. I don't. I don't think I start calling him Richter until much later in my notes. Yeah, well, I just call him Ironsides the the whole time. Because yeah, she she says I'm gonna call the doctor, and uh, he's like, don't do it. And but then you oh you can see she's calling someone anyway. And then who turns around? But it's Michael Ironsides, and you know he's a bad guy because he always is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you the, know when you see him, you're like, "Well, that's a bad guy right there." Yeah, he he's up to no good. Just look at him. Look at him. If you're gonna judge a book by its cover, that's the guy. 
Yeah, and so you're right. Uh, Doug's in the bathroom washing the blood off from his hands um, because uh, he has so much blood on his hands, literally and figuratively, from killing all those guys. And um, comes out of the, the bathroom and the lights are still off and, and someone starts licking off shots from the other side of the room. And they cannot hit the broad side of the barn. Uh, because, man, they have plenty of opportunities to kill this guy. And they miss them all. And and who is this? Who is this mystery gunman? Well, you know, after the flashlight gets uh, knocked aside and uh, the lights get turned on, um, as uh, Arnold is definitely dodging this um, shooter, lights get turned on, bum bum bum, it's Lori. It was Lori. His wife of eight years shooting at him with this gun after talking to Michael Ironside. Sam Fisher himself. Sam Fisher himself shooting at him. It was, uh, and um, they go through and a pretty brutal fight ensues. Um, he might have the strength, but she's got the agility. Those te- tennis lessons are paying off, and she grabs a knife and does some. I think she really cut him. <laughs> I think this is. I think we're seeing footage of Arnold Schwarzenegger's arm really being sliced open because, man, that looked realistic. Yeah, if the the rumors are true and those two did not get along on the set, this was the scene that showed it. Because I mean, she beamed him in the junk two times too. It was very specific about showing him getting hit in the crotch twice. And then, um, yeah, slicing his arm. She, uh, He overpowers her, though. And then they kind of like just stop fighting. And she's uh, filling him in on more things. Yeah, once um, once they, once it's clear that he has the upper hand, she shifts tactics to um, flattery uh, and sort of like using sex appeal to try to uh, distract him just like earlier. Mm-hmm. And, um, but really she's just trying to get him to look away because uh, in, uh, on the doorbell, uh, the, uh, uh, the ring... Uh, the ring doorbell. The ring doorbell... Um, you can see that uh, there's a good old Sam Fisher, Michael Ironsides himself, and his uh, his gang of thugs. They're coming up. Um, they're coming up to uh, to interrupt this this um, uh, domestic violence situation. That's going yeah, on. <laughs> I mean, she fills them in saying their marriage is apparently a memory implant. They were together for only six weeks, and then she tells him, "Sorry, Quaid, your whole life is just a dream." And then after he discovers she was doing the tactics that you're pointing out, trying to distract him from the vid wall, he turns around and decks the ever-living shit out of her and follows yeah. up with the, It was nice knowing you. Yeah. She, um, props to Sharon Stone uh, right here. She does some amazing, uh, or her or her stunt person does some amazing punch acting. Uh, the way her kind of uh, legs buckle out from under her and she collapses, I thought was um, really impressive, very realistic looking. Um, and so uh, Doug runs down and Looney Tunes the the villain, the uh, group of thugs, by kind of like ducking into an alcove and they just run right past. 
Um, there's a fairly hilarious scene of him running down the stairs and sort of stuffing a gun into his jacket in a way that everyone would have seen. Like, no one, I guess, cares about guns in this in this context because uh, Michael Ironsides and his, and his uh, gang of thugs uh, are running up there with uh, guns drawn, too, and, and the crowd seems fairly nonplussed. Remember, they only care about um, guns on the train, so right, everywhere else, right. fair game. Yeah. And, uh, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Michael Ironside goes to the apartment, sees Lori's knocked out. She fills him in on kind of what happened. And then before he leaves, what does he do? They they kiss. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure they're just friends. No, wrong. Tongue kissing. Yeah, that was like, that That was not a Luke and Leia kiss at all. Tongue kissing. No man good thing too yeah fortunately for us because that movie would have taken this movie would have taken a whole different turn even before it's like second act yeah so um then we cut to uh like i said Chekhov's x-ray machine is back and uh sure enough it detects that there's a uh this skeleton has a gun that skeleton has a gun run for your lives um and uh there's a great gra- uh, glass breaking scene uh, where Arnold, uh, he, Doug throws himself through the x-ray machine. Everyone draws their guns, but d- doesn't use them, which I thought was fun. Um, and, uh, then we see the, that one of the, that one of the thugs has a tracker, and we get a close-up on that tracker, and it is made by Casio, which <laughs> I thought was great. Casio has gone from making, uh, keyboards to, making some sort of military equipment or the spy gear i but mean you, they still brand it though gotta know this is a casio tracker yeah i mean yeah, they also made uh, calculators at some point too so yeah it seems like natural evolution from, yeah. from the, the fucking keyboard cat to uh trackers yeah yeah and it's uh it's this hilarious giant um piece of uh tech uh so I guess uh, Casio didn't really get on the modernization trend, but uh, it's just so great to see these uh, brands that aren't really prevalent anymore um, that the that, that filmmakers and creators of the time were certain were going to be the brands of the future, or at least the brands that would give them money to put stuff in the movie. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, yeah, so they, it's Tracker. They're tracking Quaid uh, somehow. And, uh, yeah, we don't know how yet, but we get a great, or I wouldn't say great, but a, a fairly horrifying scene on an escalator where a uh, where an innocent bystander is used as a human shield for way longer than I remember. Yeah, like two fucking <laughs> minutes, it felt like. <laughs> and just keeps getting shot up and shot up and shot up, and then eventually just discarded into a mixed group of uh civilians and um and and the, the bad guys um but that poor bastard there's also a scene sort of gratuitously again this is something that you would i think expect from a verhoven movie but they have one of the bad guys uh he's prone on the ground and they just kind of step on him as they're running to away and like a little blood squelches out and it's just like this <laughs> this sort of like this disregard for uh, human like death that is um, that I imagine is probably at least in part inspired by the fact that Paul Verhoeven uh, 
was uh, in Nazi-occupied Poland um, during World War II, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, experienced some of this stuff uh, firsthand. Yeah, it's it's a addition of extra violence or ultra violence that yeah shots tend to linger on things a little bit longer than you probably would naturally feel comfortable with anyway or or more films would cut away from this one yeah just embraces it yeah that poor dude on the escalator gets murked then tossed and everyone who had to deal with that commute i feel you right (laughs) i mean wow uh yeah so um uh, gets to the subway which um uh michael ironsides feels very he's very uh doesn't make sure make sure he doesn't get to the subway (laughs) but he does he gets to the subway and they uh they shoot the windows out of it but he's able to escape um unharmed and he sees a little commercial for uh for a shuttle service to mars and he gives a little knowing like (laughs) I should have just taken that. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> way better. A funny, a funny, uh, a funny thing. Yeah, and that's. I think we jump to uh, seeing Cohagen call Richter. So I think we finally find out Michael Ironside's character's name at this point. Yes, and uh, if we can go back, sorry, real quick to Paul Verhoeven was uh, in the Hague. Um, uh, in the uh, the Netherlands, not uh, Poland, as I said, because he is Dutch, of course. Um, correction. So I just make that correction real quick. And yeah, he was uh, he witnessed uh, a lot of uh, um, brutality and violence, and it's certainly you can see it uh, in his filmmaking. But just wanted to make sure that was clear. So yes, back to the subway. Uh, Quaid is treated to this almost counter commercial to recall shuttles showing off to Mars and then uh, it cuts over to uh, Richter talking to Cohagen, the guy on Mars so obviously phone calls into Mars must be relatively cheap at this point Uh, oh yeah no long distance (laughs) no long distance then we're uh, treated to Arnold kind of walking through the Galleria area uh, brought to you by Fuji Films, Coca Cola, and Philips. <laughs> yeah, tons of product placement in this movie, far more than I uh, than I remembered. Um, yeah, but it, it's funny that Coca Cola sign still apparently exists in that area in Mexico. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, they have that the, the call that he has with Cohagen is great because it's clear that they're. The relationship between Richter and Cohagen, or Iron Michael Ironside's character Richter and Cohagen, is not a hundred percent healthy, I guess, because uh, after you know, sort of getting pissed off by the orders that Cohagen is telling him, uh, Michael Ironside uses the whole oh, "I'm driving through a tunnel." <laughs> Switch to another channel. I can't hear you. I'm losing you. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah and a solar um, flare. Yeah, yeah, right. He says it's, he blames it on a solar flare, and they're driving this great these this great series of uh, vehicles that they created. I assume they created for this movie because they just look like nothing else I've ever seen. And um, you can really tell that when they're inside, which are <laughs> the inside of this car is very homemade. 
it looks like a prop from uh, Death Race uh, 3000 or... or uh, yeah, it is truly what someone would think in 1990 what future cars would look like. Yeah, it it, it looks very put... Like, uh, it looks constructed uh, with the materials of the time and inside. It, it definitely looks like these are vehicles that are made to drive, and I think because of that, they probably had to take a lot of... Uh, shortcuts uh when they um when they created them um there probably is an interesting story behind them that i'm not aware of but they do look like uh go-karts that have all just been kind of retrofitted with these giant plexiglass or and fiberglass um enclosures to make them look uh futuristic but um yeah as you said he there he's going around uh this this galleria area and he um he rents a, a truly hideous room um, in some dive hotel. Yeah, it's a straight hideout. Ho- it's a hideout hotel for sure. Oh yeah, I've stayed There's... at a motel that was like it in I, I shit you not in uh, Vegas many moons ago. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, <laughs> that's rough. Well, don't want to put a black light around that area. Well, yeah, just don't stay there. Um, <laughs> or just don't do it. Yeah, just don't do it. Uh, we only stayed there for a few hours because. We got into, we drove into Las Vegas. It was super early. We were super tired. And the hotel room was like under somebody else's name. So we couldn't go sure. check in. So we just found a place to be able to lie down. And uh, I remember throwing towels on top of the bed because of how greasy it was. The, the TV was hung from the ceiling, covered in a cage. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So a real, um, a real, someone, the person next to me is having an illicit affair. Um, yeah. This place. is what this is where you would do that. <laughs> exactly, and this is where Doug finds himself as well. Um, and uh, he gets a call from a spy friend, and guess what? The ticking clock is ticking again, because his spy friend says they've got a tracker. It's in your skull. Don't bother looking for it. And then um, he uh, says, put a uh, wet towel around your head. And we get a very fun cut to turban helmet. It's not really even a turban. It's just like a towel wrap helmet. I think actually calling it a turban is <laughs> it's bad. It's not a turban at all. Um, but it's clear that the filmmakers were thinking that it was. Because uh, a little bit later, uh, Arnold does a little bow to uh, a woman who was cussing him out that is Dude, she, of it's it's problematic, let's just say. Yeah, I mean, she has the best delivery of an Arnold line I've ever heard. Yeah, because this, this uh, spy friend leaves him a suitcase down by a payphone across the street from his dive hotel. Um, good thing, I guess, that that room looks out onto the, the payphone, but you know, whatever coincidence, shum incidents. We'll find out later that this is there's a, probably a good reason for all these convenient coincidences. And um, yeah, he he goes down to retrieve his suitcase, but an older woman is already starting to make off with it. Yeah, they, and they, they, uh, they have, he has to wrestle it away from her. Yeah, they have this nice little tug of war, and all of a sudden she's like, "Fuck you, you asshole!" Like the way she delivers it is better than i've ever heard arnold deliver that same line yeah and 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 he does uh a little bow 
um, in response um, that I was like, eh, okay, this is a ter- this is like it feels like it's a little bit like they're playing up the fact that he has a um, a head wrap on, but uh, whatever. It you know the the lot of movies around this time had um, much worse representations in it instead of a little nod here and there. Yeah, I, um, I, I give it, it is definitely showing the sign of its times. Uh, we cut from that to him look uh, reaching good old a Johnny Cab. Yep, he uh, he, well, he's, he just is kind of wandering out in the middle of this roundabout and the bad guys just drive right by him and they're like, hey, that guy. Oh, yes. And then he's like, basically he's like two feet away from their thing, like they're staring at each other for a, a good three count and then they're like, it's him. <laughs> it's like, get the fuck out of there man go like be try to be a little bit like you pretend like you are a secret agent like like you are being hunted by someone you told he told you they're gonna be there why are you not like just going up to different cars and being like who's in this one (laughs) um (laughs) so as you said then he finds that johnny cab and he and uh he can't think of an address to, all you would have to say is go to this address and instead he's saying drive 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 that's not how johnny cab works he it's like he is like uh you know he's like a, an ai he needs you to to input something so um so he just tears, tears out the robot and apparently there's just a joystick yeah just uh, one stick yeah and this is like some sort of three-wheeled clown car because he does like a few donuts and stuff before finally taking off it's a real it's a real goofy uh it shows how kind of like how this is sort of like a cheap overlay on a on a weird motor uh and suspension uh, as he, as this like giant muscled man sort of like rocks around in this tiny little car and he's able to drive that no problem uh away you know into the um into a uh Oh, a cement factory, I believe, is where he ends up. Yeah, it seemed like it was either cement. Yeah, cement factory because there's like a lot of weird uh, crucibles and pipes and stuff around the area. Right, and I do believe they they when uh, they find him, they uh, the person on the video said he's at the old cement factory. Well, there you go. And there's so much cement around. I was wondering where's the new cement factory. <laughs> It's like there's everything is made of cement in this world, so there just must be nonstop cement factories. Yeah, it's probably there's one cement factory making cement to build the other cement factory. Yeah. Uh, Before I knew that I wrote down it's the old big pipe and concrete factory. (laughs) (laughs) I like Um, like when he gets there, he gets out of the Johnny Cab and the thing is like tries to charge him. (laughs) Right. So the Johnny Cab does not take kindly to fair jumpers to, to people skipping out on a fair no, because he when he says sue me, um, the the thing goes insane. Like sparks start shooting out of the Johnny Cab robot, and it just charges immediately into a wall where it bursts into flames. Yeah. Sue me, dickhead. <laughs> Uh, and it's just like wow okay these you gotta work out the kinks in these things yeah i think went from one to like a hundred literally and it, it, was, it was watching him just go i right drive trying to run him over yeah drives in the wall explodes and it's just like well good old johnny cap 
good old Johnny Cab. Um, but now we uh, we're treated to the scene of uh, of Doug getting out all the cool stuff from the case he got. He's got some Monopoly money. Yeah. Uh, I assume those are Martian bucks because they're red. Hardy har har. Um, and uh, he's got a bunch of IDs that look nothing like him. Not whatsoever. <laughs> Those pictures are just, like, random dudes, and he's uh, uh, Arnold, so the the differences are very uh, stark. Um, and uh, then we get, a, we get a cool uh, spy gadget, the hollow projector, because he sees this figure, kind of shadowy figure, who's holding a gun on him, and he, and he does the same. And uh, after a little bit of mirror gag stuff, he figures out, oh, this is... Um, this is a hologram that's just like duplicating my movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a little laptop in there, and guess what? There's a little video on there, and guess who's on that video? It's him! Yeah, if I'm... Or someone who looks very much like him, because this person says that his name is Hauser. And he doesn't know what the name that the, the person he's talking to, or that is looking at the recording, is, uh, but... Um, he lays it all out for him. Yeah, it's pretty much exposition uh, uh, laptop. Yeah, exposition laptop is very f- friendly, I thought. Um, he kind of uh, talks to himself in such an affable way. I was like, wow, I wish I had talked to myself. <laughs> this nice. Yeah, it's like a real confident kind of uh, version of myself I normally wouldn't see coming out of a laptop. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just like, hey, buddy... Hey, you're not gonna like this next part, but come on, it's all up to you. Let's get out of here. We gotta get that Kohagen. Yeah. There's enough stuff up in here to really fuck him, yeah. yeah. I, there's enough shit in here to fuck Kohagen good. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're gonna do it, it should be good. Yeah, so he d- explains that the, they work, or he works for Mars Intelligence, and uh, he's met a lady that's really changed his life and uh showed him that he was on the wrong side and so uh he's gotta guess what he's gotta get his ass to mars probably one of the more famous quotes from this movie uh that's chalk block of famous quotes to be to be honest yeah it is um, it is a arnold uh powerhouse of uh quotes like one-liners yep and uh yeah he says get your ass to mars yeah, well, you get the fucking famous, yeah, this this scene, too, also always stuck with me as far as effects go. When he puts the uh, bug yes. remover up his nose. Yeah, when you feel, when you hear a crunch, crunch, you've got it. Yeah, and it's like... Nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Be careful, it's my head, too. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, and it's terrible. Yo. Like, it's obviously a prosthetic, but you're right. Like, you see the light of it pass behind like next to his eye and it just it you're like his nose would split like in a real person that nose would just split open um but it's very rubbery and he pulls this thing that looks like it's like half the size of a golf ball it's gigantic he pulls it out of his nose with this little grabber thing and it looks terrible like it is not terrible in terms of like uh, the effect, because I think the effect, even though you can tell it's a uh, a puppet, is is very good, and um, the result is just horrifying. Oh, it it's lit up, it's bloody, um, 
but yeah the prosthetic i think is it's done very well because it's painted exceptionally well from the teeth to everything like that that's the benefit of being able i have i watched it on my computer screen um so really kind of up close to see this really awesome painted puppet pulls the sucker out and i'm like i don't know how that would fit in your brain without you dying immediately or wherever it was sitting in your sinuses you would know something this large was in your body you would just not feel right and then I like the fucking the container falls off of it, and it's like the size of a bullet. Yeah, you like put that up your nose. Yeah, that one seems like it <laughs> have a giant ball on it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a little bullet with a with an LED light in it, and um, I guess so. Now he uh, he can take the head wrap off. Goodbye, head wrap. We barely knew ye. Um. Uh, but the the thugs have arrived. They've tracked him to this location. Even the the fuzzing of the signal via the wet head wrap wasn't enough. They were able to locate him in the old cement factory, and they show up. Um, and uh, we see uh, Doug sees them coming, or Hauser sees them coming, and and he he uh, gathers up his stuff and uh, has one last thought. Uh, there was a couple candy bars apparently in the. <laughs> That's a great part of the scene too, is that uh, Doug's just munching on a uh, what I can, looks like uh, three musketeers the whole time, and um, he at the end he decides, hey, you know, I'm gonna take this tracking device, I'm gonna put it in three musketeers, and I'm gonna give it to these rats, my rat friends, and uh, they're gonna give them a little run for their money, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, no, I I think they were Mars bars. Because ah. that would make the most <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> that makes sense. And also how how yeah he puts the tracker in one of these bars, and I was just thinking it was a three musketeer or something that was really like nougaty. It would have just fell apart. Yeah, the Mars <laughs> yeah, bar would have went right in. Yeah, yeah, you know, because the rat is able to drag it back and forth across this uh, little um, sort of area. You know, the area is fairly well well lit. And these uh, these thugs are, are must be real dum dums because they are they are just firing uh, willy nilly into the into the darkness um, because they see the tracker sort of going back and forth. But when you see that same area in real life, um, because you could, it sort of overlays the uh, the surrounding you know the surrounding environment onto the tracker, and when you see it in real life, it's fairly well lit. So you can't imagine how. Uh, they would be able to just assume that he is able to go back and forth between these two pillars without them seeing him at all. Because um, it seems like it's ten feet in front of him, and they would easily be able to see him kind of jetting back and forth. But uh, nope, they're just they've got in unlimited bullets. So they what do they care? Yeah, they're shooting the shit out of that area. Shoot up the laptop and uh, everything. Yeah, I I never got that, and I know even as a kid it weirded me out that this dot was on the ground. And it was just running back and forth. And he's like, over there! And yeah, it was lit almost like daylight. So... Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Either your they, eyes are... They're real dum-dums. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, they're real dum-dums, I think. Yeah. And that guy has some pretty big Coke bottle glasses, yeah. so maybe he just can't see. Maybe, you know, living on Mars, too, maybe affects your vision. It was too bright for them. Who knows? But uh, the... the the shooting of the briefcase left us with the the last line. That uh, give me that. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Shit. Get your ass to Mars.
Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Yep, yep. Get your ass to Mars. The the famous quote is uh, repeated over and over and over again. And um, we know Richter's a bad guy because he just shoots that rat. He sees the rat who had the tracker, and ooh, he just shoots him. Some rat blood splats on the the video. Um, and then we cut from there to a really great exterior shot of the of the shuttle that I, we assume that um, that Doug is on uh, landing on Mars, and some really great miniature work here. Uh, we got some we we have some uh, guys in the foreground composited, uh, kind of working on a little platform, and I think the ship itself is a is a really cool model. So uh, just some great exterior shots and some great model work um for mars and uh, then we cut to the interior we see for the first time uh the interior of martian buildings and they did a very good job of making them feel they're still brutalist to a certain extent they're still um angular and um but it does feel more nice and clean and futuristic at least in this area of mars um and there's more color and it does feel more inviting than earth to be honest uh it, it's strange but it, the the color and the the tones of the metal the sort of the red outside the magenta is outside um offset with the cool blue of the interior uh stuff is a is uh really cool yeah i like it it's it's different enough you could tell that you're not on you're you're, you're not in uh wherever they were america at that point yeah and right. I, I really do like this shot yeah, so um, we we get a shot of this uh, this very tall woman um, who is is going through customs, and her facial expressions are just fantastic. Um, she's really acting the shit out of this small part. Yeah, she is enjoying it. But yeah, it goes from this wide shot to this uh, to this extremely tall woman. Yes, and we then we get the uh, we get Gold Ducat from Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine making another appearance on our podcast before we were able to talk about it properly. But the actor uh, Mark Alamino, I believe, um, who played Gold Ducat on DS Nine, plays the uh, the head of the the security force here on Mars, and he is there to meet. Um, to meet uh, Richter, who apparently was on the same flight. Yeah, that was my note. <laughs> Richter must have been on so, the same flight. So I guess um, I guess uh, Doug got into costume beforehand and um, really went right under the nose of old Richter. Um, so I thought it was funny. So uh, he, the this tall woman, is asked how long uh, she will stay and. Uh, uh, she says two weeks. Before then, uh, the guy's sort of like looking at the the ID and looking at her, and she does this great, huh? It's me, it's me, huh? <laughs> it's me, huh? Um, and yeah, and then, and then asks her how long she's uh, staying. Uh, two weeks. Everything seems good. He's going to punch it, uh, punch the uh, little stamp. And then he asked uh, if, he, if she brought anything, uh, any contraband goods uh, with her. And uh-oh, he only prepared for the one question. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the whatever uh, whatever speak to talk program was not working correct, or the pre-recorded stuff because it was just like two weeks. Yeah, so she uh, she continues to say two weeks and uh, starts making weird uh, groaning sounds and sort of freaking out. 
and this draws the attention of old Richter. And at first he's just like, wow, this lady's going crazy. But then uh, he he starts to suspect something. And somehow he's like, he's like, that's Quaid. Obviously, well, I mean, yeah, it's a, a very tall woman wigging out, going like, two weeks, too, like reaching into her mouth to... That that's another one of these parts that always stuck out to me as far as movies when she puts her fingers into her mouth and like stretches the teeth in like this weird almost not rictus grin but like joker-esque grin oh ugh. 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 yeah but it was very cool right it because that was just her Bef- like before they do the, the that cool sequence where the the head sort of separates and reveals uh Doug underneath. <laughs> this part is hilarious because so all this stuff is happening, all this commotion is happening. She's reaching into her mouth, pulling her lips apart, sort of showing her gums and stuff, and um, freaking out. And it gets progressively more bizarre. And then eventually, the he takes this head off, and there is it sort of comes apart in these slices. Uh, after the wig kind of falls off and like a a big like section of the forehead comes out and um what's funny is that like obviously they couldn't the pros- the the mask couldn't fit over Arnold's face so the they have a prosthetic under a prosthetic like there's a puppet of Arnold under the puppet of the of the woman's face which it, you can tell kind of obviously now but is a great effect and there's so many people with guns just waiting there for this whole sequence to finish. And uh, you just have to wonder why they didn't just one person lick a single shot off because um, perhaps it's because he's standing in front of a window. I think Doug probably got this mask at Acme or something because what he does is like he throws it at a group of dudes and it, 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 it says... Um, it finally finishes a word. I forget what the line is, but then just explodes. It says, um, "It says something like uh, uh, something you're in for a big surprise or something ironic like that." It's like it's gonna be a big surprise, and then it blows up. Blows up, kills those dudes, and then Richter, knowing he's on Mars, and this is the part that used to shoot me or bug the hell out of me, is he just starts shooting right, and he's mad, and he hates. Uh, Doug were you know with a passion and he shoots and then uh, decompresses the whole area yeah okay so this is this is a funny thing about this movie so Mars has an atmosphere in real life <laughs> uh, as far as I know there would be no explosive dec- decompression uh, were you to to um to blow this window out they they treat the exterior of mars as if it is space hey everyone editor john here just wanted to chime in say forrest is a little incorrect on this one uh based on further research into the atmospheric pressure differences between mars and earth mars is less than one percent that of earth which to the human body wouldn't be that dissimilar to being exposed to a vacuum. To give you an idea, if you were unprotected on Mars, your blood would boil, even at ambient temperatures. All the gases in, that are dissolved in your bloodstream would just turn into bubbles. That sounds really gross. It is literally quoted as, like, popping a can of Coke, you would fizz to death 
and that's within seconds. Um, so yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, there you go. We've learned something today. Um, editor John, now science editor, uh, signing off. Which I guess is is how the fiction of this universe goes. But um, uh, from what I understand, that's that is just not the case. He would not be sucked out the window um, uh, if you were to blow open a, a, a window. No, not whatsoever. But in this instance, right, they've showed you that Mars is violent. You don't want to walk on its surface. It's going to kill you without a suit or a not compromised suit. Like no one would invent. Uh, you know, like it, it, being in an airport at the time made me go, well, you shouldn't be able to just to shoot at a window and have it crack as easily as it did. And that was the part that always bugged me. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like you know that Richter has been to Mars before, but he just shoots that window out like no problem. Just just shoots and misses, and uh, lots of people die, <laughs> and he almost dies. And, uh, but that gives the, that d- gives Doug the opening he needs and he's able to escape. The, the blast doors sort of come down and, uh, protect everybody eventually. And then, um, you know, the two bad guys have a little bit of a snarl off. Um, but then we get a great shot of the, of a, uh, sort of a monorail or some sort of, uh, Mars train, uh, speeding along the terrain, uh, speeding along, uh, the terrain train terrain um and we get a we get a shot of the uh pyramid mine which will uh which will come back um it's been referenced a couple times recently people saying that there was alien artifacts that have been found there and that really wigged out cohagen but um yeah so we we get this uh a nice little uh interlude a little little break as we uh, get to uh, admire the Martian countryside, and then there's a nice flyover that uh, shows the sort of slum town that they're they're going to. Yep, I think we see Cohagen again too, and I I'll only mention that because I wrote this note uh, equals Dick Jones' future ancestor? Question mark? <laughs> Question mark? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, because we go, um, we see. Uh, yeah, this is Ronnie Cox, the the um, the brilliant. Uh, Ronnie Cox, um, also a Star Trek uh, veteran. Yeah, Star Trek veteran, and what, of course, I was referencing was RoboCop. Of um, course, where he played Dick Jones with OCP, Vice President OCP, and apparently, I think his future ancestor got his ass to Mars and uh, rose to the top real quickly. Might have even been his kid. Shit. I, so depending on when RoboCop takes place, and yeah, uh, yeah, heck, uh, might as well be because he's also a corporate sleaze bag. Yep. Uh, that classic uh, sort of eighties, early nineties uh, archetype. Um, back when we, um, back when we still, <laughs> we still saw uh, uh, like greedy corporate dudes as sleaze bags. Um, and he really dresses down all Ironsides. Yep. Um, so, uh, we're, we're at Mars, we're in this, uh, sort of more slummy area, and, um, I like how during, uh, when Ronnie Cox was, or when Cohagen was dressing down Richter, 
they just kind of offhandedly mention that the that mutants are psychic, and that's just kind of thrown out there, and that's just something that the audience has to accept. That's just part of the world, and no one questions it. No one's weirded out by it. Uh, mutants have psychic powers, and that's just part of the world. Yeah, they developed it because Coeg uh, in here, um, like the company skimped on resources and how uh, shoddy material. They kind of go into it a little bit later, but effectively, it was really cheap. So, like, uh, radiation was pouring through these areas that normally wouldn't be, and yeah, people mutated. And yeah, to your point. You're a mutant, you have psychic powers. Doesn't matter. How- and that's just it. Yeah, just how it is. That's just how yep. it is. Um, so we get, like, very aggressive cabbies. One guy's got magazines, he's got whiskey. Um, the other one is Benny, who we'll see quite a bit later. Uh, but he's got five kids. Yeah. Or four kids. Or five no, kids. He's got five we'll kids to feed. Um, he's got five kids to feed. Be man! Shut up and try! Hey, I got five kids to feed! <laughs> That's his hard sell, um, I, and uh, we get uh, we get Doug checking into uh, the is it the it's the Hilton is it the Marriott no it's a Hilton Hilton yes because yes, the Hilton because I wrote down Hilton won the hotel wars. Yep, he sure did. He got all the way to Mars, and uh, we find out not too much later because he uh, uh, Doug. Uh, checks in and he uses the id he was told to and sure enough he's got something in a uh a uh, lockbox that they behind the desk for him and they pull it out after doing a thumbprint scan and it's um it's just a flyer with a naked lady on it uh advertising for uh, a club in um the i guess the the more red light district i don't know yeah, I guess the, the the more downtrodden part of the town. I, think, I believe it's called the Last Resort. Yes. The Last Resort, and it's got a very uh, fun, very um, kind of like no pulling no punches. You know what you're getting when you go there, based on this flyer and the logo. Um, yeah, it said. But, I think on the back of the flyer, it said for a good time, call Molina. Indeed, and. Um, so Doug does a very fun little bit here. He he asks for a pen and he writes the name Melina, and uh, compares the handwriting. And, and sure enough, it's his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back outside, and where we meet Benny again, and he convinces Doug to go with him, even though Doug clearly wants to go with the other guy. <laughs> um. He decides, uh, and then uh, he doesn't have much of a choice because uh, a whole shooting fight just breaks out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just goes from normal calm. Hey, come with me, I'll take you. And then, yeah, the rebels just start shooting uh, up the place. Like yep. like you do. You Like you do. And, uh, yeah, he's giving, him the, he's giving him the hard sell, but doesn't seem very too concerned about the full-on, like, the bullets that are flying over his head. Um, this whole sequence where they're kind of driving through the tunnels, I thought was fantastic. They have they have that camera sort of mounted on the dashboard, and they're looking backwards as they they drive through these tunnels, and it looks like they just built tunnels and drove these little cars through them. Um, and the whole look is great. Like there's so much world building in this part, and it sort of it, it really sets you in this this Mars town 
is really a place. It really feels like a physical, lived-in place, and I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Oh no, I, I I dig all of it. It's because it's different, but it gives you. You can see how they're moving things through because you're seeing other tunnelers, kind of creating additional roadways. It has this really built-up feel, and uh, to your point, like these rebels attack, and the um, the forces sit and fight the rebels. But you know, people are wigging out, but. Also, look like the people who live there are very much used to it too, because he's just like, okay, yeah, I'm still going to take you where you're going to go, versus where I think somebody normally might run back to their hotel room or something like that. And he's like, no, we're going to Venusville. Yep, he's like, you're getting your head start, yeah. okay? Um, so uh, the, he kind of shows them around the uh, the little town that surrounds the the bar. And uh, I noticed in the background that there was a Jack in the Box. Yep, and and, and the soda of Mars. Pepsi. Yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Pepsi is the choice of Mars, whereas I guess Coke Earth's a Coke planet. It sounds about uh, right. But, but yeah, uh, but they Mars likes Pepsi, and um, then we get introduced to the uh, the mutants and their mystic abilities, and I thought. Um, it was nice that Doug is nice to the mutants right off the bat. Probes the secrets of your heart. I bet I can guess your birthday. What is it? You're a Taurus, right? How did you? Um, doesn't really treat them any differently, and doesn't really bat an eye, which I thought was a uh, good. Um, but that that sort of um, that that sort of. Uh, consideration it does not extend too far because I think he expended it all during that that moment because he does go back to making fun of mutants not much later than this. Um, but there is a good scene. I thought there was a pretty funny joke where Benny uh, is sort of trying to get some more money out of him, and uh, Doug pays him just a stack of money, and he's because uh, uh, Benny says, "What about my three or my five kids?" And he says, "Take him to the dentist." And uh, Benny smiles, and we see that he has many um, gold teeth. And I thought it was a funny, <laughs> was a funny uh, a bit. And then yeah, he gives him a, a big old stack of cash. Mm-hmm. Then we shoot. Um, uh, from that, we go to the last resort. Um, the the brothel boba tea. Uh, <laughs> place like it's yep yep it's a uh, milk tea slash brothel as far as like it's like a saloon that serves milk tea yeah because it was very it was kind of johnny rockety too it was because because to me like he walks in and it's this multi-leveled place but it's very well lit and you know just people are chilling at tables that are kind of somewhere up on a you know a top in the back but it has all this this metal like dinery type of feel yeah, it, it it definitely was lit. It was not lit like a uh, like a brothel or a bar should, uh, ought to be, or what you would expect. It's just like bright fluorescence. Um, you can they better keep, keep that place spotless, otherwise it, it probably looks disgusting. Um, and this and now uh, we are introduced to the you know uh, how I should say Hauser Hauser Doug goes uh, up to the bartender and, and says that he's looking for Melina. Um, and now we get the famous scene of the this other um, lady of the evening. And 
she turns around to reveal that she is also a mutant, but it has just affected her breasts. Yep. Because there are three of them. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, this is the part that changed young John forever. <laughs> Never would I be satisfied. Um, Thrice! Yeah, thrice. Uh, but she's also fairly insecure, because when he uh, when he decides not to um, go uh, with her company, she's uh, she does not take that very well. Um, but he's really there for Melina, because they make eye contact, and sure enough, it's the one from his dreams. It's the same lady. And, uh, so they, they have, like, a very protracted seat where he, they, like, kind of walk towards each other. It can't be more than 20 feet, but they're taking their time. (laughs) Um, just sort of cutting back and forth of them walking uh, forward, and, uh, I wrote this down because her initial lines, um, is hilarious. And she says, uh, hey, Hauser, uh, still bulging, I see. And then grabs his crotch and she says, what have you been feeding this thing? He says, blondes. <laughs> and she says, well, I think it's still hungry. Yeah. <laughs> this is this uh, is how I know we, I know we down, are friends, because I wrote down the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just classic. Yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, that's a thing to do. <laughs> yeah, um... And uh, her uh, one of the companions at the the, the table is is not uh, too stoked about seeing old Hauser again, and uh, he says, "How dare you share, show your face around here?" And he says, "You're one to talk, buddy." Yeah. His um <laughs> his his consideration for the plight of the mutants has ended, and now he's just being like, oh, "You show your face in here, well, you gross looking." Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, it turned out it's fair play. That guy started it. Uh, Arnold was going to finish it, you know, type of thing. Uh, yeah, but it, it him being gratiated to the mutants or liking mutants kind of dipped real quickly with that one. <laughs> yeah, it goes away. He uh, and they they abscond to her um, her room, which I thought was funny that the door and walls are all have are Swiss cheesed with holes. So there's very much no privacy in this area. So if you're going there to uh, to get down, um, to to get your groove on, so to speak, um, just know that it will be on display. Uh, those those walls are are leave nothing to the imagination. Yeah, wash your ass, wash yeah. your ass, because people can, people see it. People will see it. <laughs> people, all the whole thing. Well, you gotta wash the whole thing up and down, up and down, left, right, if you have to. The every, yeah, everything you got. Yeah, <laughs> just, just squeaky clean because they're gonna see it. Owl, yeah. owl. <laughs> um, so Molina also doesn't buy her crap. Nobody buys Doug's shit. Every time he says almost anything at the start, everyone's like bullshit. Um, and uh, they fight a bit, and she ends up pulling a gun on him, and so Doug's not having a great day. People. Everyone's pulling a gun, a gun on Doug. No safe harbor for Doug. Nah, so much so he's kicked out of her room. Found the woman of yep. his dreams, trying to help, pleads her to help him remember. Nah, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here, Quake. 
Yep, and then we uh, we cut to back to the three-breasted woman. Um, just a shot of, of right uh, on her chest, and uh, there's Benny, and he says, uh, "Baby, you make me wish I had three hands." And she says, "You're doing pretty good with you." <laughs> Which is a funny. Uh, it. it the, I guess I'm putting this in quotes. Is the the joke becomes funnier a little later on with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. He he. Sure, he has two hands. Wink. Um, wink, wink. Or does he? Um, he. I mean, technically, he still does. Maybe he has three. I don't know. Anyway, um, he. So uh, he goes back to his awesome room at the Hilton. Um, it's a really great. I love the set for the Hilton. The sort of like mixture of rocks and like cool steel with a magenta accent lighting looks really, really good. Um, and there's a little bit of a, a knocking at the door. And uh, who could it be? But the doctor from the commercial. It's the guy from Recall. He's there. He's unarmed. And he's got a little bit of an update for old Dougie. Yeah, this is played by... This is a... Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Hold on. Uh, Roy Brocksmith. The, yeah. Yes, Roy Brocksmith. The awesome Roy Brocksmith. Um, and uh, he has shown up to let uh, him know. To let uh, Doug know that guess what you're still at recall none of this has happened you're in a delusion yeah you've suffered that schizoid embolism and he's here to kind of help him get out of it yeah he's been artificially implanted into his memory or into his dream he's having like a uh delusion he's been and so the the doctor has been artificially implanted in there and he is there to work with him to to make sure he gets out um, a okay, yep. and and he he says that nothing, none of this has happened. Of course, because he he makes a lot of sense, right? He says, "What is what makes more sense that you something went wrong when you went to Total Recall, where you got all of this stuff that has happened uh, implanted in your memory, or all this stuff is really happening?" And if it were me, I probably would have been like, oh, "Okay, yeah, you're right. I'll take the pill." Yeah, the pill, <laughs> the red pill. Yeah, and but um, who should show up next? It's Lori. Oh my gosh, it's Lori. Um, and at that point, I would say fire everything. All <laughs> like once she shows up, you'd be like, oh hell no. Uh, but she says, hey, I'm also implanted, and we, I love you. I want you to come back. Um, and uh, he almost buys it. Almost, but what? What? What's the? Almost. What's the tell? What? What makes him think that there's more to meets the eye here? Oh uh, well, it looks like the doctor who you could have gotten from context clues because he's like, take the pill. <laughs> Good. Now take the pill and put it in your mouth. Swallow it. <laughs> is uh sweating and that sweat is a dead giveaway because why would he be sweating if he was just an uh, a image implanted in his mind he wouldn't be is the answer he's nervous 
And so uh, he's, he did not take that red pill. You never take that red pill. Nope. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't take that red pill. Um, and uh, he spits it out, and hot dang, is he the crack shot. Oh, yeah, he fucking drills this motherfucker. <laughs> Boom. Headshot. One to the head. The guy has doesn't even realize what's going on. His head just his eyes just sort of roll back and he falls falls down dead. Um, and so then we get a little bit of uh, uh, and then we have uh, Plan B. Plan B is enacted. <laughs> yes, which is blow a hole in the wall and jump through like a goon. <laughs> yep, and then he starts tossing ass again. So yep, throwing people left and right, fighting Lori. Um, but there's too many yep, of them. Overwhelmed, they get the upper hand, and Lori just kicks the shit out of him. <laughs> like she really revels in this moment. She's able to like kick him in the face, and then kick him the old junkarooski. Yeah, so that's the the uh, Sharon Stone three, Arnold one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She really, uh, she really, uh, really goes for it. And um, and then uh, calls in Richter, yep. and they're waiting by a, a light beer sign, which I thought was very interesting. It looks like it looks like part of a gold basketball pi- player is sort of emerging from the wall. <laughs> it's good beer. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's really good beer. Uh, yeah, they they make it different on uh, they make it different on Mars. And um, they sort of run to an elevator. They have this very funny scene where they're like kind of rushed to an elevator. The the sort of glasses thug that is always with Richter is sort of like punching him in the shoulder, like "Yeah, we got him." Um, and then they just go wait by an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very funny sort of like uh, pacing. Well, um, well, I wrote this note because it stands out. I to me in a lot of movies, whenever I watch like people run. Now, look, I'm going to tell the folks at home, everyone who probably listening to this knows me anyway, I am not a graceful guy. I am not a runner. Um, but when I watch other people run, I'm still going to judge them. And so I have a note here that says, Michael Ironside does not know how to run in general. <laughs> he just is kind of like skipping he's got like, and like half running. Well, he's just like, there's no... One, there's no urgency in his running. He has this really weird, like, hand paddle movement he makes while running. Like, he's kind of confused. Um, <laughs> he, the way he kicks his legs up don't look like they're exerting any sort of, like, effort to run. Um, it was. It felt like maybe running really was not in his contract, so he did the bare minimum of running. Sure. But, yeah, he runs... He. I, I want to do a video at some point of the top ten worst runs in Hollywood, and I think this is a contender. I still this is a, this is up there. Yeah, I still think uh, Steven Seagal has the worst run. Uh, enter clip of uh, I won't put one in here of hard tar- hard to kill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think you're right about that. A real leisurely just, jog, regardless of the the um, the urgency. Yeah. Just terrible so yeah he he runs gets to the elevator and then yeah every time someone's running and is stopped because of something else it's always funny yeah so um 
the and then the they're waiting for the elevator why isn't it there because someone else is using the elevator and guess who is using the elevator yeah. why it's Malia. No, I thought housekeeping <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would have been a good one well uh wrong floor uh menswear um <laughs> so so we uh at that point we we have uh melina shows up and she just blasts everybody uh, but not Lori, because she's too well-trained. She's too quick. She ducks around the corner, and then um, we get a Lori-Molina fight, and it's fairly brutal. Yeah, it's a good fight. Um, they are, it's a really good fight, and they are really, like, they are really kicking the ever-loving crap out of each other. It's it's very it's very brutal. Arnold's just watching for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, he's just gotten and, down on the ground. You know, he's still stunned from when she kicked him in the fucking face. Yeah. And, uh... We see that um, Lori's got a uh, knife, sort of strategically hidden in her in her uh, boot or garter or something, and uh, she pulls it out and is about to to stab Melina, and it gets shot out of her hands, much to her surprise. Oh yeah, fucking now, crack shot, Arnold. I mean, uh, yeah, fucking he's, Doug. he's back yeah. with the crack shot. Just shot because this is just number one crack shot because uh, she tries again to sort of like. Um, to appeal to his the memories of their past and it doesn't really work because uh he just plugs her one in the old nagaroo yeah crack shot uh doug was three for three that day <laughs> doug doug is a crack he shot, a shot um and then and that's it well divorce joke well the it- consider that a divorce it's again another classic arnold one-liner you know, consider yep. this a divorce. There you go. I had to do it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and then and also Melina gets a good one yeah. in, and she says, uh, "Was that your wife? She was a yeah, bitch. What a bitch. What a yeah. bitch. Yeah. Um, that was your wife. What a bitch. And you you feel good about that because they're meant to be together, not um." And uh, but you know who doesn't feel good about this? Fucking Richter. The person who shows up next on the elevator after um, Melina and Doug uh, uh, abscond the scene. Um, it is uh, it is old Richter, yeah. and he <laughs> just steps over his dead girlfriend at first, and has to be reminded by Glasses Thug uh, that her uh, crumpled corpse is right behind him. And now I guess he's even more angry and irrational. Yep. He already, for some reason, he hated Hauser Doug Quaid. Like, he, he hated that guy. For you, you, I think you get a sense of it near the end. There's more. Then somehow his girlfriend was roped into this deal as well to keep an uh, eye on this brain implant. And then now, yeah, Arnold or someone just, you know, shot his girlfriend in the dome. And yeah, so now he's just from completely irrational to holy shitty, super distraught, crazy, irrational. Yeah, so uh, they sort of like uh, Melina and Doug sort of uh, escape onto the external superstructure of the dome that surrounds this part of the city. Uh, Glasses Thug gets there. He's got the shot, but he can't take it because he knows what happens when that from earlier when that when that dome apparently that is susceptible to a single bullet um gets hit i guess i hope there's no 
strong winds with rocks in them outside because <laughs> this thing is fragile as f um so uh and then uh of course crazy uh crazy guy also comes out there and he licks a shot off at them uh despite the protestation of glasses thug um because he's an idiot i mean like, he's already done it once so he's just like whatever now he's extra crazy so he's gonna go and do it again Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then fortunately he missed the window, hit part of the uh, uh, foundation or something. Yeah, yeah. some like st- steel uh, grating it just kind of ricochets off there. No, no harm, no foul. Um, and that's the only the the only bullet he fires. Thank goodness. Um, and uh, and then uh, we run into Benny again. He's back. How? It's almost like he knew he was going to be there. I wonder if he does. Um, and uh, we get this... What what uh, happens next is a great little chase sequence where uh, Benny and Melina and Doug are escaping in their the, uh, Benny's taxi and uh, old, or Richter is uh, firing... Uh, uh, kind of following along and um it looks like they're having a shootout in a disney ride <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> a little bit yeah and apparently the the uh windows on martian cars do not roll down well, um well, nor do they shatter properly because yeah. it's just like a house window yeah like like a 17th century house window this thing just breaks <laughs> into these large shards of glass um he's it was funny because the dunny shooting is a shotgun and you know depending on what type of shot you got in a shotgun like it's not going to hit this car but you yeah you get a cool little shootout in these tunnels it's a little claustrophobic it's different from it being like normally when you see it on the you know big streets and things like that yeah so um they uh they get back to the last resort and uh they can uh, Melina runs in and and the the other patrons at the bar who are you know sort of in on the um that are sort of uh, members of the uh resistance or the rebellion uh they they quickly open up a secret door move a table out of the way and usher Benny, Doug and Melina into these underground caves very convenient that it happened to be there um and uh, then they quickly replace all the furniture and act like nothing happened, and it's a very convincing display. Uh, one that doesn't necessarily convince good old Richter. No, Richter, Richter is incensed at this point. Like, I mean, he walks into this place, he's got his goons, he's got, you know, his buddy right next to him, and he starts questioning, like, you know, where did they go? And, you know, everyone's playing dumb inside the bar and shit, and then I wrote... This is this is the line I wrote. Uh, the uh, three, I don't know the the three-breasted woman, you know, is just kind of blows him off. Says, "No, nah, no one's here." Turns around, and then I wrote, "Richter is an asshole," and shoots her in the back. Yep. Then just starts killing everyone in this brothel like it's no problem. Yeah, and and a, a big fight breaks out. And at first, you'd think that they're all going to be slaughtered, but no, they have a they have some fight in them. These brothel patrons, and especially um, this uh, 
this uh, littler woman who uh, a blonde woman who is uh, another one of the um, workers at the brothel uh, she just straight up pull up pulls up a knife and jams it into the gut of glasses thug R.I.P. Glasses yeah. Thug. He goes out real bad. For a second, I thought she stabbed him in the crotch because that's oh yeah. yeah the, the The character's name was Thumbelina. There yeah, you go. Played by Thumbelina. Debbie Lee Carrington. Yes, a huge. She was in a lot yeah. of stuff back then. Another uh, another uh, great eighties uh, nineties character actor, and um, yeah, just just stabs him right in the gut he's gone goodbye glasses thug we won't miss you um and uh, then gets up on the the uh counter and just starts uh, blasting people um and uh they're able to uh push the security forces and richter out of the the bar quite dramatically as richter goes crashing through the uh the big window in the front he hates class yeah (laughs) that's why he keeps breaking the shit doesn't he get a call um, from Cohagen at this point when they're assaulting? Yeah, so yeah, at that point he gets a call. He like breaks through the glass. The gold Ducat drives up in his uh, car, and uh, he's got a he's got a voice call from uh, from Ho- Cohagen waiting for him. And what I love about every time they call Cohagen, he's always turned away from the camera so he can dramatically turn towards it at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, I thought was great. Not very good Zoom etiquette, but uh, funny stuff. I should start all my Zoom meetings like that. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> For the folks at home, I oh, just dramatically well, I turned around. <laughs> um, so, uh, then um, we see that the Cohagen has turned the air off. The fan stops spinning in this very dramatic moment. Um, because uh, when he receives that call from Cohagen, Cohagen's like, uh, they say, you know, he's escaped into the tunnels. Uh, and Cohagen's like, perfect. Um, you know, he's with the resistance and he's like, haha, everything's going according to plan. Uh, he might as well just steeple his fingers in an evil way at this point. Um, because he turns the, the air off and we can tell that because the giant fans that have sort of been omnipresent in the background stop spinning mm-hmm. and everyone looks really worried. Yeah, it seems like this is a thing. Um, one of the big call outs in the film is that air is at a premium up here. Like I was saying earlier, Cohagen, uh skimps on materials and things like that. So it is, this is an appearance. Oh fuck. I said this things like that again. One day I will stop. <laughs> One day. One, One day. day. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Nope. But yeah, yeah with the fans turning off, it, it's not looking good for Venusville. Nope. Uh, Venusville is uh, running out of air, or is just straight up out of air. And um, uh, I guess they forgot to pay their air bill, which is a funny thing to say, but a real part of the fiction in this thing. Um. So then we cut to the catacombs, these weird tunnels under uh, under the the town, and where we get a little bit ex- a little bit of exposition about how the the original settlers were exploited by Ho- Cohagen mm-hmm. and then buried in these tunnels in a um, in a very Paris catacomb sort of way. Benny goes off to uh, find his grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sequence where he's just like, "Hey, I think my grandpa's down here," and then he literally vanishes for a while. 
and while the uh, Doug and Melina are sort of uh, captured by the, these uh, the the mutant the mutant rebels, um, like uh, Benny comes back and's like, I didn't uh, find my grandma, my grandpa. Uh, so he really was looking um, quite earnestly. Um, uh, and uh, there's some question about who Benny is, but um, he gets a lot of extra cred because he he takes off an arm. Uh, takes off a robot hand and sure enough under there is a um, is sort of like a mutant, a mutant arm looks a, looks like a, a raptor arm or, or something it's a very cool like body horror um, yeah I think it's framed but, very uh, well he's a mutant too, too with the bright light mm-hmm. behind it and it unfurling gives you that uh, yeah. proves that he did technically have three hands see Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny that you you question that because I wrote my note here. This was the part when I was a kid and thought Benny cannot be trusted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, these mutants. I don't like them. What's going on um, here, Benny? And uh, so yeah, he things start to so that they 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 find out like one of the whole sections of rock is actually a door which is very cool and um we're introduced uh to the uh the the rebel hangout which is this giant subterranean area that i guess they can't find um that kohagen can't find um it's huge Uh, it's it seems like it would be crazy to keep it secret uh that way but whatever uh doug's here to meet uh quato and uh he is gonna meet quato he's not there he, he doesn't see quato he just sees the guy from the bar and a couple of other people he's seen and some random uh rebels but no quato um so they go into sort of an adjacent room and uh the guy, he, he's like, oh, all right, well, you're ready to meet Quato here. I'm going to start unbuttoning my shirt. And you're like, well, what's, what's Quato really? And um, after a lot of, like, very sort of uncomfortable moaning, uh, a baby pops out of this guy's sternum. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> it looks like a Chucky doll was melted into his torso. Yeah. I still think this is great um, practical makeup, though. Like it's cool, and we get to spoiler alert, but we get to spend a very short time with Quato. But he is definitely gross Yoda, is what I'm, I call him. Open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. Open your Yeah, he's got a lot of good advice. He says, like, you're not who, you know, the the person you are is is uh, shaped by the, your actions, uh, not by who you were. And uh, that that is definitely some foreshadowing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he uh, he he grabs Quato's hands and and they um, he he Quato is able to sort of use him as a conduit, I assume to sort of spy on Kohagen at that moment. It's hard to kind of tell where this next scene takes place in time, but he has, like, inside 
of Doug's mind is a cool fly-through of the interior of the pyramid mine. And we see a lot of really cool-looking alien architecture as well as a field of uh, what looks like ice. Um, and then we sort of fly by Cohagen and Richter and a scientist sort of talking about uh, what it is in there. It's a reactor. Um, and they believe that if it were started, it would cause a global meltdown. Yeah. Whatever that meant. No, I think this was just a, a memory, right? Just kind of the jog is memory of where this all got started. Right. Except that he's not there. Well, no. So, <laughs> there's like, oh, I, what I took is... I took it from the camera's point of view that was him viewing sure. the the conversation. But, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously you didn't see him walking with him, but I, I just took the camera was his perspective watching it on this and kind of flying around making it a little bit more abstract. Because, I mean, it ends with right. a, a shot, a, a top shot of an alien-esque looking hand on a pedestal. Like an indention for an alien hand. Yeah, some sort of place for an alien-looking hand. And um, they don't have time to sort of uh, dissect this new information because uh, the whole room starts to shake, dust starts to come down from the ceiling, and boom, the drills are back. Bad guys using their favorite way of entry, blowing a hole in the wall and then running through it clumsily. Uh, are back and the security forces are they've gotten the drop on the rebels and they just mow them all down. They start shooting them and then what the fuck happens? Uh, Guado gets uh, shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And um, they they, they believe they're going to escape um, but then it turns out uh oh, Benny. There's Benny and guess what? It was him. That's how they found him. Uh, He was working for Cohagen this whole time. Yeah. And guess what? He doesn't even have kids. That was a lie. I'm betrayed. Yeah, I was really upset. First it went from five kids to four. And then it went from four kids to no kids. Then we had this character shift where Benny just murks the shit out of Quato. Oh, yeah. Or or so you think. Um, Yeah, he's just a total traitor at this point. And then, yeah, Richter comes in and just finishes the job. Cloud was shot in the head, so I, at this point I've lost count of how many headshots we've had. Um, yeah, so many, and the, they actually shot that prosthetic in the head was pretty bad, funny. It looks terrible, because, you know, Guado is able to get a couple words out, which is, he's imploring um, Doug to start the reactor, um, and uh, so... Then they're captured, and um, they they take our heroes back to, as well as the body of Quato, back to uh, Cohagen's office, yeah, which Cohagen must have a good cleaning crew, because he does not mind having a bloody body up on his nice, pristine table. Yeah, I thought this was weird. Yeah, so uh, Cohagen has his villain monologue. He's reveling in the the uh his victory here he is he informs everybody that uh he he really takes care of a lot of the exposition here he says you know this everything was as planned um for the most part 
uh, Richter wasn't even in on it. Richter doesn't seem too pissed about being used as a patsy, but whatever. And he says, hey, this was your idea. Um, this was Hauser's idea. And sure enough, um, there's Hauser popping up on the screen to twist the knife, just knife a little bit further. <laughs> he, he gives the rest of the exposition. And then it like, sort of zooms out and him and, and Cohagen are like arm in arm having a good laugh. Yeah, it's, it, I always thought this was pretty funny that he just kind of details everything and yeah the whole plan was based on the fact they couldn't get past the mutants because of their psychics so they're like okay hey we're big pals i want my body back um yeah he's like may hey maybe i'll see you in my dreams or whatever yeah some fucked up shit um and uh yeah that that part is great we this is the all is lost portion of the of the film we don't um because um it's hard to imagine how our heroes get out of this but one thing we do know about doug is that you don't want to put him in a total recall chair because he does he those things can't hold him and uh he's already been shown to fight off you know like two or three people uh at a time in those chairs so um they hook him up him and melina at first i i thought to myself because i didn't remember like why are they putting melina in there why wouldn't they uh kill her but uh, then uh cohagen very grossly says oh you know um Co- uh hauser's gonna want a babe so uh you know we'll reset you and we'll make you obedient and whatever um and it's a very that's a very gross scene um, and you know, uh, Cohagen's very confident in his victory, so he leaves with Richter, uh, or not before Richter gives him a, a little uh, love tap, a little love tap at the jaw, uh, to which uh, Doug gives his best "I'm going to kill you" face. Yep. Um, and uh, they say, "Hey, you know, I'm throwing a party later, so Hauser, you want you to come, uh, come on by, Doctor, give him a little uh, reminder, give him a little post-it note after I'm gone." And, uh, you know, he doesn't stick around to see it done. Classic supervillain stuff. Um, he just trusts that it's gonna be done, but um, something is gonna be yeah, done. And it is the brutal murder of all these, these scientists. Fucking, these scientists. Like, at a certain point when the first... To what you were saying earlier, Doug does not like these recall machines. The one on Mars seemed to be especially fragile. Because as he's bound in this thing, he just rips up that one side, has that long, like, broken metal pole, and stabs a scientist right in the neck with it. Yeah, it is, uh, it's horrifying, (laughs) truly. Um, and yeah, he does fairly, he does a lot of stabbing through the eye and uh, up the top of the head, and just, like, all these, uh, there's just like an axe that somebody picks up at some point because I guess there's if there's an emergency you need an axe, uh, maybe for this exact moment. Um, but he puts that to good use as well. I mean, I've worked at a lot of places. There's no point where I'd ever grab an axe off the wall and just start hucking it into customers. And that's and that's <laughs> yeah. the thing with these scientists. I would have saw like my friend. Uh, I'm a, I'm gonna call him George. The guy just got stabbed in the neck with a broken piece of a machine. That's yeah. when I would have left. I would not have grabbed yep. the axe. I'd have just said later. Yeah, I. They're all scientists, and I guess they're also agents. But I don't know. Whatever it is, um, but yeah, he yeah he grabs an axe, stabs one like in the side, 
And then this is the part that I'm sure that made them go from, uh, they had to edit down to go from a X rating that they originally had to an R rating, was he just like takes this weird pole thing and jabs it right through one dude's eye and it goes out the back of his head. I yeah. Was like, Ugh. Yeah, it is it is intensely brutal. Um so they are able to uh escape and um a sort of gleeful Richter uh relays this information to Cohagen. Cohagen um is legitimately sad looking as he orders the death of his friend. Obviously him and Howes were like best buds. Um, and, uh, he wanted his buddy back, and that's not gonna happen, because this dude, uh, you know, he, he's AWOL, and so Cohegan finally agrees and gives, um, and gives, uh, old Richter the, uh, the thumbs up to go, to go get him, um, uh, at, at long last, and, um, there's a nice, uh, sort of, uh, cross-cutting between, um, Cohagen being very, he's very angry, he kicks a, uh, uh, tank of fish over, uh, the fish sort of starts suffocating without, without the water, and that sort of cross-cuts into the, um, the residents of Venusville, uh, suffocating without air. Yeah, my, my note here, Cohagen is a dick to fishes. Venusville needs air, and then I wrote, it really is quite fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, it truly is. Um, so, uh, we cut then to, uh, to, uh, Arnold, or I should say Doug, and Melina in the tunnels. Uh, he has to start that reactor like he promised, uh, Quato he would. So, uh... They get to the where the the entrance to the the pyramid mine should be, and it's sealed. Oh no! What are they gonna do? Um, if only there were a giant drill behind them, and there is a giant. Drill behind yeah, them. this place is filthy looking. They're just all over the place, and uh, like a familiar face is piloting this one. It's our old pal Benny, and he has just gone full tilt psycho at this point. Yeah, I never got this part. I didn't know how Benny knew where the hell they would be uh, from yeah. this point. But then I remembered he's a mutant and maybe picked up on where they were going. So uh, I forgave it. Yeah, he could be a little psychic. So, yeah, he um, he. it seems like our heroes are all as lost for our heroes at this moment for sure. And... Uh, so he he's trying to like smash them up against the wall and uh, you know hit them with these giant drills, but there's easily enough room for Arnold to sort of or for Doug to sort of squeeze in between these drills um, at a little bit of a personal cost because some of the drills do hit him on the arm in a very brutal way, uh, and 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 it looks like uh, it's kind of upsetting to look at, but. Um, uh, and a, kind of a funny scene. Uh, Benny thinks this is funny, but uh, Doug picks up a, a handheld drill and sort of runs at the the giant drill with it. And Benny's like, "What are you going to do with that?" Which is, I think, is a pretty good assumption. If only there weren't like uh, very important hydraulic tubes sort of hanging loose on the exterior of the the front of this drill. So they're able to kind of wha- make it kind of go haywire for a moment. Um, and, uh, you know, Benny can't really see them, so, uh, Doug runs around the side of the drill, 
again, this is like a very bad plan by by Benny, <laughs> and um, finds the the door to the operator area, and um, <laughs> he says, "Hey, Benny, uh, screw you." <laughs> And of course, then he impales him with a drill. <laughs> so, does anyone want to tell Doug that that is a drill and not a screw? <laughs> I'm not telling him shit. He just drove that shit right through <laughs> the side of somebody. But, yeah. You know, yeah, whatever you say, Doug. It's cool. Yep. But you, hey, Benny, screw you. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a. And then he and then he kills him with a drill. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, then we we see that Benny has uh, Benny's bad idea has been a good idea for the our heroes because uh, the way has been clear and now we see the the interior of the pyramid mine and indeed it's like a giant glacier with all this uh, these weird alien pillars sort of hovering over the top of it. Yeah, very vast and, room. I like this shot. Yeah, it's a really cool set. It's I really love the way that the alien architecture is designed i really felt like it was um i don't know i really felt like it was different than the human architecture and distinctly alien so i thought it was very good production design there yeah i enjoy this and it was nice use of miniature work something that starts to go away around this time too so uh, yeah, yeah i really I, I really like this underground valley and yeah you see the core of mars is frozen right like it's just right and um yes the core the right and and so we know uh from the knowledge that's been unlocked from the head of uh doug slash hauser and uh quato's uh insistence that they have to start this reactor and it'll and it will hopefully solve everyone's problems so uh, what what we go through next is a kind of a hilarious, if a little maybe too long scene where um, Melina and uh, Doug use the hollow projector um, to basically punk a bunch of uh, a bunch of the security force and and like one by one or even multiple at a time uh, mow them down. Yeah, they Scooby do it. Oh, they totally do. That, I think my favorite part is when they fir- when you know they they shoot him and he's like acting like he's being shot and they just keep shooting him even though no bullets are impacting, even though they should have like killed each other or whatever. They seemed like they were shooting. There was a little bit of crossfire there, but um, and then he starts laughing and everyone is so stunned. And then he comes out and shoots them all, of course. But then later he does the same thing where they like he's he's he has like they have him dead to rights. But he goes, ha ha ha, do you think this is the real me? <laughs> and they don't even bother to shoot to check. They're just like, oh jeez. Well, it is. <laughs> and he, of course, mows them down. Um, and then Melina gets on the action a little bit too. Um, but they take out all the security force, and so it's just uh, Richter and uh, uh, just Richter and Doug. Uh, they they jump on a very cool looking elevator. It's very industrial. Very unsafe. Very unsafe looking. Yeah, no handrails, just open to yeah, everything. My note was not OSHA safe elevator. Not <laughs> not OSHA approved. And uh, they have another brutal fight where they're just kind of like throwing slow, powerful punches at each other and just kind of like smashing each other up against the, the side of the stuff and um and. Uh, uh, 
Richter goes over the side, and Doug is uh, kind of holding on to him, won't let him go. Uh, and then we get another... Uh, we get maybe the, the worst one-liner of the movie that makes the least amount of sense. Oh, it, no, it makes perfect sense. Okay, please Okay, explain. so, yeah, as uh, Richter's hanging on this thing, there's a chunk of a side of the, the cave wall. He gets caught on it, and his arms get ripped off. Right. Right, yeah, they go through, like, a hole in the ceiling up into the the next part of the place, and, the, and he's holding his hands over the elevator, or his arms over the elevator, and they sort of just get cleanly snipped yeah, off. Yeah, so here, here's Arnold holding Richter's arms, and he tosses them over the side. He's like, see you at the party. See you at the party, Richter. Party, Richter. <laughs> okay, it makes sense because literally, remember, Cohagen says there's a party, right, that yeah. they're going to the scene before just about. Um, and, you know, I'll see you there. And that's what uh, Richter says to him. See you at the party. Right. So it's just a callback. Yeah. <laughs> just as, like, you think it would be like, uh, you know, um, your personality is so disarming. Or oh, whatever. no. It's like, it's like um, oh, your, your grip's not so strong anymore. Uh, yeah. It's like, got to hand it to you. Should have um, got off on the first floor. <laughs> But, but it's this is the line that I can tell you uh, some of my best friends use all the time. Especially when you talk about parties. They'll literally rip this out and be like, See you at the party, Richter! And, so, it, and you throw the arm. Yes, this, this, this line is near and dear to John's heart. Fantastic. Yes. Um, so they, they finally get to the reactor control room. And uh, are about to to start the reaction when Cohagen pops up. Oh darn! Um, and he says, "No, you're not going to do this again." Doesn't shoot them. Wants to monologue. Says he misses his friend. He wanted his friend back, but it's not going to work out. And uh, he's got a very dumb plan uh, that he's just going to blow it all up uh, because, like, I guess that'll do something different than than what he thinks pressing this thing will do. Um, but uh, too bad, because Molina has taken a what the counterweight or something. I don't know. She's riding up some other thing and has been able to get up to them. And uh, she she uh, she blasts him good. Um, not good enough, yeah. though. Not a crack shot not to shoot enough. the thing out of his hand. Yep. Yeah, it's just like shoots up a bunch, but doesn't finish the job, which is something you always have to remember to do when you're when you're facing a bad guy. And um, and so uh, you know, they he tries to blow them up. Uh, he activates the little bomb, uh, but uh, Doug throws it into this this uh kind of like this, this tube shaft that's right next to them. And it blows up a covering, I suppose, because the here comes the atmosphere change, and they're sucking them outside, sucking them into the outside of the of the atmosphere. Uh, Cohagen shot up, shot to shit, but still still alive. Uh, has very good grip strength. Yeah, well, you know, death grip, death claw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, he he's worried about. Like he was gonna, he was about ready to blow them all up, but he's he's like, "Don't start it, you'll kill us all." <laughs> well, 
you kind of i thought you were going like you were just about to to blow yourself up and them um but now you're worried about everyone dying mm-hmm. okay whatever um and he gets sucked outside into the outside and um we are treated to cross cutting with his his horrifying as uh, death by asphyxiation yeah it's probably the worst one. um easily mm-hmm. like his face turns to jelly his eyes bulge out so much that you see the the stalks it's just so upsetting and bad um but uh doug is able to put his hand i guess luckily it fits into this alien activation button and aliens must have been very trusting because anyone apparently can put your hand in there and activate it there's no real safety measure and um then we get this sort of uh, very cool ending sequence where we cross cut because once he's able to put his hand in there and the whole sequence starts, him and Melina are sucked outside as well. And they begin the process of asphyxiating and going through this horrible, like, uh, this horrible sequence. Um, and they, uh, but then it's just cross cut with, like, air exploding from the ground and these giant pillars sort of uh these heated pillars pressing into the the um the icy core and that creates basically a volcano volcano of air uh and it sort of like blows out all the windows of the of the uh martian colonies and what at first seems like a huge disaster turns out to be um, good news for everybody yeah. as an atmosphere is instantly created. Yeah, like 30 seconds. 30 seconds, yeah. And I guess having the like your, your eyes bulge out and your tongue get huge has no real effect on your looks because um, uh, Doug and Melina are able to sort of uh, return to normal. Yes, like it, 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 amazingly so. I'd imagine for sure, yeah, you would look like your 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 face is caught doing three G's or something like that outside, because it, it it is like I said, I'll never shoot a window in space. That's a nope. terrifying. Yep, and, this, and right because of this, because of this movie, and, this, and for good reason. Um. But then, you know, we get uh, all these different shots of the people uh, on Mars seeing blue skies for the first time ever. And um, the final the final shot is Melina and Doug, um, you know, uh, talking about, hey, is this really, what if this was all a dream, huh? And she says, better kiss me quick before you wake up and fade to white and um, and roll credits. That's it. And that's the end. Um, so, when was the last time that you'd seen this movie before sitting down to watch it for this podcast? I honestly like early two thousands. Yeah, it's been a very long time for me as well. But I was, aside from a few problematic things that are sort of emblematic of movies at that time period, uh, I thought it was great. It's paced really well. Arnold gives a more nuanced performance than i think you get in a lot of his other roles he is a lot softer a lot of the times he's a lot less confident and he tries to play it like an average guy when he's not like a uh when he's not being a a like a decommissioned secret agent 
It's got humor, it's got the effects for the most part hold up, it's got a lot of really great action sequences. So I would say that if you are uh, looking to go back and explore some of the parts of pop culture, maybe you're too young, maybe you haven't just haven't seen it or haven't bothered, I would definitely recommend it. Um, but don't show it to kids because these the sequences of violence in this are horrific. Yeah, I mean, the, the makeup effects were done by the same guy who did RoboCop as well, and mm-hmm. The Witches of Eastwick. And so yeah. it, it's, it's for practical effects, I think they're very well done. Um, but yeah, to your points, Arnold, it's, like I said, you could feel, and like when you read up more about the movie, you find out that he, like I said, he's a lot more interested in it than most. So yeah, I think that kind of shows in his performance too, because. After this, we start getting, you know, Arnold trying to do different types of movies. More comedies, more this. Um, you know, less just straight action hero. And I think this gave him kind of almost that foray to try something a little different. Given that, you know, he's this six foot two, I guess, tall guys, you know, like with a physique of a, of a, a god at a point. Like, dude, super fit. But trying to play like a construction worker, sure, I'll, I'll I'll buy it. Yeah, yeah. Some of those, it's I think it's surprising how much you can buy him sometimes as just a regular Joe, even though he just does looks completely out of place almost everywhere he yeah, goes. Like almost uh, um, un- uncomfortably, and that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a big recommend for me as well. Um, so please. Come back and join us next week for another episode where we'll be endlessly dissecting another piece of pop culture from our personal sagas and recommending or not that you check it out for your own uh, journey through the pop. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm going to workshop that Please. one Please. <laughs> that went roundabout. so stay happy stay healthy and we'll see you next week catch you later Saga, you know we keep it groovy We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies A couple of nerds, but got style We so cool, pop culture Talking new and old school, yeah You should know we love hip-hop From the roots, Ty Lib, shout out to Feral Munch, we giving you what you want It don't get no liver, ain't no doubt we got you. This is Pop Saga, let's go Oh yeah, you heard right This is a lifestyle, welcome to the nerd life Pop Saga